before the merriment of commencement commences, please accept our apologies. Due to a mysterious microphone malfunction, Aidy's audio in this episode is occasionally a tad muffled. We hope it doesn't bother you too much and can assure you that Aidy's silky tones will be back to their usual smooth, ear candy warmth in no time. Now, grab your space beams and enjoy Zapped to the Past. Welcome to episode 33 of Zap to the Past. My name is Adrian Mills and I'm joined as ever by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We are using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on but we are in no way affiliated with Zap64 itself. This week, we're going to be looking at September 1986 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 17 of Zap64, along with what was also going on in UK music. Graham, crank up our spleens to fever pitch and tell us what's coming up. In this Chinese takeaway set meal for 300 of an episode, we don our armour, grab our lances and stab some zombie ghoulies in the spine-chilling ghosts and goblins, go for a murderous sprint across the assassin-strewn platforms of Mission AD before attempting to delicately navigate a jet fighter through some fiddly caves in the claustrophobic caverns of Erebon. We also go full-on medieval and smash each other's heads in with the clobbering night games, train to become the world's crappiest assassin with Ninja Master before attempting to fly anything in the 10-print basic lunacy of the truly terrible jet strike mission. If your eyes are in fact not bigger than your belly and you've got room for another spring roll and a chicken ball, we also go full sewer robot and scoot around the broken isometric pipes of Floyd the Droid, find some robo-legs, shoot some webbing, and otherwise clamber around the creature-filled world of Iraq, and bemoan the you-had-everything-you-needed missed opportunity of Danger Mouse in Double Trouble. Finally, we blast our way through the impressive budget action of Warhawk, ask some searching questions about Sensible Software's aviary-based shoot-em-up, Galaxy Birds, before finally sitting back, hitting the toilet, and taking a gargantuan power dump with the laxative Beer Belly Burt's Brew Beers. I can tell you, that lot ain't gonna flush. Aidy, fetch my marigolds and power plunger. I'm going in. Sweet. So what is coming up? What's first? I know what's first. Do you know what's first? I do. Tell me you, tell me you know what's first, because you're going to talk about what's first. The first game is? Is the gold medal. The gold medal. The gold medal. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm, the gold medal game mm. for uh, this issue. Shifty so looks. Or should it be, uh, that should be in a harpsichord. I can't do a harpsichord. Impression. Anyway, our first. No, I couldn't. Neither can I. <laughs> neither can you, as it turns out. No. <laughs> no. Uh, Ghost and Goblins. Graham, what's Ghost and Goblins? Ghost and Goblins is a very successful, hugely successful um, Capcom arcade 
And the captain, the, the, the premise of the game is very simple. You are a Sir Arthur, the knight in shining armour, who has to rescue um, his beloved princess from the clutches of the evil goblins and ghosts. But t- in principle, a, a big goblin. Um, so she's been kidnapped. You've got to kind of uh, go through a series of levels in order to, and fight zombies and all these other creatures in order to rescue her from the evil. I think it's the Princess Prin Prin, I think is the name. And the person that's kidnapped them is Astaroth. Hang on, is, it, is that really true? Yeah. Princess Prin Prin. <laughs> Yeah, it's Princess Prin Prin who's been ca- kidnapped by Astaroth, king of the demon world. You, you've got to learn to uh, read between the lines with this stuff. Anyway, okay. so that is the premise of the game, and it's an arcade game. So the arcade it has arcade things attached to this game. So one, arcade difficulty, top-notch in this one. It's a real killer, really difficult arcade game. Number two, kind of nice sort of sprite design and graphics. The arcade's quite good in that respect. So a lot of heritage, a lot of nice stuff to look at, great music and interludes, and it's a quite a complete arcade. So we come to the Commodore 64 version, and at this particular stage, it ain't bad. So the logic of the game is that you control with the joystick, you control um, Sir Arthur, you got to jump, and you end up with a series of weapons. You start off with a lance, and you can actually, as the, uh, some of the zombies are carrying around giant caskets, or giant, I think giant vases, essentially. And who knows? You can uh, shoot those, and sometimes they release goodies, and sometimes they release extra weapons. The weapons kind of progress through. There's a flame, a shield, a dagger, and an axe, I believe, as well. And they all have kind of different... Not, I wouldn't say strengths, I think that's the wrong word, but some of them have a kind of gravitational thing, so they drop down like the flame and it kind of carries on across the floor. The shield is kind of super fast and the, the daggers are super fast. Anyway, long and the short of it is you get different weapons to choose from. And you progress from left to right, jumping, avoiding, climbing up ladders, shooting the zombies, avoiding the killer flowers that fire things at you in order to get to the end, fight the boss, and then off to the next level you go. So that's the arcade game, that's the Commodore 64 game. Now, this is a good conversion, but it's not a complete conversion. So this no, is... I no. I think this is kind of problem number one. So it's not all there. This is actually, the arcade actually has, I think it's, it's six levels and a boss fight at the end. And this version has four levels and the boss fight isn't actually the real boss fight from the game. Because in this version, you actually fight a snake, which is not the thing that's kidnapped the princess Prin Prin. So uh, it kind of feels like you're being sold short a bit and the levels are a bit shorter and they're not in the same order as the arcade. And so it feels like it's a bit of an arcade light version on the Commodore 64. Now, um, there are good things about it. So the sprite design and some of the other things are kind of captured and it does kind kind of look a bit like Ghost and Goblins, the arcade. But because of the changes in the actual design of the game, for example, the level three and four are switched on the Commodore 64 from the arcade. So that allows that kind of final snake boss thing. And there's kind of an ascension in a tower in the arcade, which you don't get in this version. And I also have to say that there are bugs in this game. So this is a Chris Butler game, isn't it? And Chris Butler has got a good mm-hmm. a good pedigree for games. Although there is a really interesting interview with him in this particular issue of Zap, where he kind of comes across as a bit of a, I just do it for the kind of cash and the job kind of thing. So, you know, he's a coder yeah, for hire. You know, he reminds me of um, a guy out of Game of Thrones, um, that guy that hangs around with Tyrion, who's kind of his sell sword. He just you know, does it for oh. the kind of thingy. <laughs> Bronn. Yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of the sea skitty version of Bronn. So it's just like, you know, even the questions is like, do you do you love the games you do? It's like, no, I don't. I don't have any affinity for the games I do. I just program it because I'm being, I'm being paid. All right, that's okay. And that, if that's your thing, fine. And that, you know what? I've got no complaint about that. But if you've been asked to do a job, why do a half job if that's the case? Because this is a half job and so is Commando and that's another Chris Butler game. Now, it mm. could be that time is a constraint and I suspect that's the real reason behind this. But he makes a point of saying that he had plenty of time for this conversion. So I don't know. But there are bugs in this game. So there are issues of quite poor collision 
detection. Sometimes you jump and it just seems to just die if you fall through and die. There's later in the game you can sort of fly through bits of the landscape which you can use to your advantage and some parts of it just completely bug out. And so um, sometimes the sprites appear in real odd places when you die and you restart because like the arcade, if you die towards the beginning of a level, you re- you restart at the beginning of that level. But if you mm. progress your way through to kind of a halfway point, you start from there. Well, sometimes it gets a bit crazy with that. Um, so it's it's a difficult game to judge in some ways because I, I really like all of the Ghosts and Goblins, Ghouls and Ghosts, all of those kind of arcade games are really, really cool. They're my favourite arcade games they are. And so the 64 version isn't bad, but it isn't complete. A bit like Commando wasn't complete. And Commando got kind of pasted for that, whereas this has been heralded as like the super game. So I don't quite get the Zap scoring for it. I don't. Um, because apart from anything else, the music in this game, by the way, is by Mark Cooksey, and it's good, but it's not the arcade music, which is better for the arcade. Mm-hmm. So I, And I don't get why they did that. And I suspect it's probably something to do, with again, with time and constraints i'm not sure i'm not sure of the logistics of all of that so this is a difficult game although weirdly when i went to replay the 64 version i found it a lot easier than i remembered because the levels are so short so and and, and level three in particular i just ran across the whole level i didn't encounter an enemy didn't really have to do anything particularly difficult so i don't get how this is a gold medal in fact i would argue that this is an incomplete arcade and should have been sat in the kind of rambo commando score camp for me but i I do have an affinity for ghosts and goblins this isn't a bad old version of the commodore a version of the arcade on the Commodore 64 it's just incomplete and kind of different to look at with a bit of music so I like it I played through this one I completed it right the way through something which is actually I think impossible in the arcade without actually wanting to claw your face off so (laughs) it's good that they fit all what they did in 64k but as I'm sure we'll discuss in a moment once you've sort of explained what you think of it there's a better version that came out in the Commodore 64 which is kind of complete but what did you think because I'm sort of thinking great but not 97% and certainly not gold medal well similar to um your feelings on ik plus sorry ik international karate and its comparison to fist i yelled or my feeling is this is not better than green beret previously reviewed in the previous issue no which way, only no. got 90 no only got, was it 90 93% 93 so, yeah so uh, so this is and green beret is a full conversion pretty much yeah, the levels are maybe slightly shorter but it's all there everything cutscenes, interstitials intro everything this is missing so much that it's as you, i think you, you rightly say ghost and goblins light this is bud light this is miller light this is yes. um this is a half a game this is half the game there's no not even the intro is there where no. the the demon the demon appears and, and picks up the uh, picks up Princess Prinprin and you know takes her away. None, none of that's there. It's all gone, and I don't understand why. The the, the title screen is different. It's a bit, bit plainer. There's nothing really to it. The music is different and is not like you said. It's good. It's good, but it's not ninety six percent great. That's for certain. This is a good conversion. And I think that's where it tops out. It's good, but it's not certainly not 97%. I remember thinking that at the, at the time, thinking I played through it because obviously they've given it 97%. This must be amazing. And I finished it at the time. On this playthrough, I didn't quite finish it. I gave it three or four goes. But on my third go, I got to almost the end of the fourth level. So within 20, 25 minutes, I had nearly run through this again. Yeah. And like my, you know, my skills are not what they were when I was 14 years old. But Depends what your still... skills you're talking about. You can still uh, uh, steam a mean ham. <laughs> well, that, that is true. Um, and I can still uh, yeah, yodel an alpine uh, goat's uh, socks off. 
um, which is always a sight to see. And, and genuinely a skill, a real skill. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I've got better at that as I've grown older. My yodeling technique is, uh, is, is spoken highly of in yodel circles. And just as a complete aside, the Grimbarian Grimsby Yodeling Club is still looking for new members. <laughs> AD is still literally the only member and has been for the last 25, 30 years. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I stand sometimes in uh, Ryby Square yodeling, um, uh, waiting for people to join the club. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing to this day. The police have often been called so many times. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe I need to again? try it in my uh, in my shiny disco pants. <laughs> but wear them once more. Um, anyway, yeah. So this ghost and ghost and yodelings. Uh, it's just not right, is it? The, the third, like you said, the third level is barren. There's nothing to it. There's a few floating platforms oh. and some fire on a bridge and loads of things that appear underneath it. Then fly downwards. Like the fire, the fire that never was because I was never managed by it. it just kind of looked <laughs> no, like it was absolutely. going to do something and never did. Never did anything. And it's it's quite easy. As, you know, as, as long as you get to any of the bosses with your armor still on you can just spam them super em. easy yeah because yeah, you spam them as well there well they, they knock you don't you they hit you take your yeah. armor off but you've got invincibility for enough time to just hit them until yep. they're dead and then pick the key up and off you wander yep it's it's okay it's a decent conversion but as i said this is i'm looking at two two arcade conversions one from konami one from capcom reviewed in you know issue 16 issue 17 one is almost perfect and one is a bit of a buggy incomplete release i don't understand where they're coming from on this i don't it's not as and and, i mean i mean i'm probably more of a but the thing is i'm probably more of a green beret evangelist than you are Mm, absolutely, um, but I agree with you. Whereas you, because because you are you like Ghosts and Goblins more than I, more than Green Bay. I, I think I think that's your your your. Mm. You know, more your bag and so it comes to something when you agree that these two conversions one is undersold and one is massively oversold and i don't understand why i'm not going to say it's because there's an interview with chris butler in the magazine i'm not saying that i haven't said that mm. and i will never say that but mm, mm, it's not ghosts mm. and goblins it's no. not ghosts and goblins enough and as you rightly point out we have another version of ghosts and goblins that has been made since yeah, we do um and so maybe do you want to say anything about that well yeah and just before i do actually i've i've actually been sat since since playing the c64 version i replayed the arcade version as well in fact i played every version i could no excuse really needed for me to play ghost and goblins i love it and i was trying to think what is the difference between this and green beret because they're the two big arcade conversions last month and this month they're two great big arcade games they're both huge arcade games and i think in actuality i think the problem is and this is no disrespect to chris butler at all but if you're a jobbing coder and you have no passion for the game you're making no real love for it at all then you end up with a ghost and goblins for the c64 and a commando like they've got if you've Mm. got a bit of a passion and a heart for the game you end up with green beret because you've got you Mm. want to do you know these little bits you want to make sure you get it in there i just think he just could you know for whatever reason he was given six weeks that's what you get in six weeks of my time there it is and i'm again i'm i don't know i've never spoken to chris butler i don't know him personally or anything like that but i'm just thinking anyway later down the line the nostalgia based group and nostalgia by name um Yes, created yes. I don't know if they released or created this so whoever has, did make this game please forgive me for whomever made coded it recoded it did all this stuff because I'm not 100% sure of the details however there is a version of Ghost and Goblins Arcade which was brought out separately where they kind of took the original version and just completely A. bug fixed it redrew all the graphics redid all the music redid all the levels in fact it's I would argue it's basically a, a new version of Ghost and Goblins as it should have been done and it's very impressive all the graphics is, are there yes. all the level design is there they're in the right order. All of the levels are there, including all the boss fights. All the interstitials are there, the in-between level parts, all there. It's all complete in one load. 
So I think that it was always possible given the time and the... I mean, obviously now, many, many years later, there's all sorts of modern tricks that you could probably throw into a Commodore 64 that perhaps weren't even known back in 1986. There's maybe no doubt about that. But mm-hmm. I would recommend everyone go and download for free, which you can, from the CSDB, the, the database. You can download the um, Ghost and Goblins arcade version from there and the Commando version they've redone as well. I'm sure we'll talk about it another time. But go and download it. Play the arcade version because it's a much better, more complete version in every way and actually is very good. Which yeah, proves that had they, had they released, had Chris Butler taken the time and effort and the an elite perhaps not put as much pressure on him to release it just whenever it was done. Had they taken the time that the, the developers took over Green Beret, they could have ended up with what became the nostalgia version of Ghosts and Goblins, but they didn't. They released a kind of a half version, Ghosts and Goblins Light. I think that that got a gold medal is a travesty. And I have to say, it, it, when I, at the, I would put that in perhaps the 60s, 60% for me, because it's incomplete. I'm sorry, but it is. And Commando got, I think, 60-something. Mm. I don't think it did very well I mean, out I, of it. I, I, I'll, I'll cut. I mean, obviously, we cut Chris Butler some slack. I mean, it's still impressive, and it's still you know, like you said, doing oh, yeah, things in 1986. And the, the other thing with the nostalgia uh, release is that there's looking at the credits. There were there were three coders. There was two graphics artists. I oh, think. there's a team. So yes, yeah, so there's a full team there. I mean, aside from someone else, doing, McCooksey doing the music. Butler's done everything, you know, his graphics, coding, everything. So what he's done, producing that amount of time, is, is pretty impressive all on his own. And so I'm, I'm not, I, I don't want it to sound like we're being churlish and going, oh, God, he should have done a better job. But maybe it is a time thing. But, you know, he says I had loads of time to do it. So maybe it's all he could fit in 64K with the techniques no. they had back then. We don't know. But we're going to talk about another game in the next episode, which is a, we, you know, we can look at arcade conversions around this time. But there's another one that'll start off next episode um, that we'll look at about arcades conversions that probably shouldn't have happened um mm. and you know it comes to a point where maybe trying to ram you know with you know a, a full arcade from in the, you know the end of 1985 or whenever ghost and goblins came out um 1985 1986 into 64k maybe you know there's i mean obviously it can be done but with the mm. techniques and tricks and techniques that knew, were new, known at the time maybe mm. it was a step too far i mean green beret is only four levels i guess so there's four levels here there's you know comparableness to them mm. but one one fits one doesn't you know yeah. you get what you 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 if you choose to do a version like this, like Commando, if you choose to do an eight-level game, then put in eight levels because, let's face it, Who Dares Wins 2 got eight levels in. Yeah, it did. And you know what? I suppose if I was going to relent a little bit, because I do feel like I've kind of had a go at Chris Butler a bit, and that's, that's not my intention at all. I think if I was honest with myself a little bit, this is what I suppose is really an approachable, cheaper version of Ghosts and Goblins. So this is, you know, it's, this is as good as you're going to get in 1986. Okay, and it's not bad for that. Um, mm. And so it represents pretty good value, you know, because the arcade wasn't accessible to everybody and it is really, really hard. So you're going to be pumping, you know, a lot of money into that to get anywhere near the kind of replay that you would get out of this. So I suppose I maybe give it a cut it a bit of slack because of the time it's released. I suspect that even though he said he had plenty of time, in reality, it looked to me like it probably could have done with a few months more and maybe a couple of extra people. And there is that kind of whole reliance on the single coder back in 1986, you know, the one guy doing everything or the one or two people doing everything, the coder, the graphics and the music kind of team. Mm. And I get all that. So maybe I may, maybe cut it a bit of slack because it is at least an accessible version on, an, on a much more inferior machine than an arcade and it still retains much of the pl- gameplay. But you know what? There's bugs in there that should have been ironed out. This should not be a gold medal. I'm sorry, Zap, but... 
I disagree totally with that review score and not for the only time in this episode because, well, not certainly this episode, but in this <laughs> issue of Zap because I can tell you there's something very wrong with some of the scores in it. And it's been some, it's something that's been happening for some time though. This isn't something new. I've mentioned it in the la- at least the last three episodes that there's something kind of going wrong. And also I noted Frankly in the... Off, yeah. yeah, and I also noted that people are noticing it in the letters to Zap as well. If you read any of the letters in the last three episodes, there's at least one or two saying, what on earth are you talking about with these scores? Um, sometimes that you read them and you're like, are you mad? And other times you read them and like, you've got a, you kind of got a point. Um, now I wouldn't I hesitate to lay the point of blame at pressure from editors or you know any of that. I don't know. I, I'm what you know. I, I'm not in working in news field and Zap sixty four at in 1986 I don't know but there are games that are getting crazy scores and shouldn't and there are games that are getting bad scores that probably should have got better it seems a bit all over the place but this is a it reminded me of why I liked Ghosts and Goblins and why I really hated it so mm. yeah. there you go that's what happens so there you go that's Ghosts and Goblins we do like it but not not gold medal like it yes, sounds about absolutely. right absolutely yes <laughs> it's got, I've got menaced by a, a chicken wrap <laughs> <laughs> He's not kidding, listeners. He really did. No, no. That was, uh, for want of a better explanation, I just saw the uh, beginning to Grange Hill on the uh, Zoom chat. <laughs> yeah, with a with chicken. <laughs> bow, 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 bow. <laughs> on that blurry note, let us move on to our next game because we've spoken a lot about Ghost and Goblins. So we have. There we go. It's all right, you know, but it's not gold medal, all right. So what's our next game? Our next game. From the team that brought us some other games, we have Mission AD. What is Mission AD? Right, well, Mission AD. We are into comedy name territory with Mission AD. Not in the actual title itself, but you play Ricochet. If you didn't know. When I read it, I was yeah. like, oh, really? And there's other cheesy Yeah, you play Ricochet. Well. There is, because you're out to follow the dastardly plan of General Office Rocker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It is General Office Rocker. Uh, oh, dear. It is General Office Rocker. So anyway, the plot behind this game is that, not too dissimilar to uh, Avengers uh, Age of Ultron, actually. Scientists believe that we are under threat from, a gal- from galactic powers or whatever. So they decide to build a galactic defense system. Um, they always do. Gen- they always do. But, you know, it's for the good of humanity. But what it needs is it needs the cooperation of every country around the world. Unfortunately, General Office Rocker um, thinks that it's a a trick of the uh, capitalist scum to undermine the the, uh, glorious country wherever that he comes from probably russia um and so he sends what he does is he sends assassins in to kill the scientist involved in creating the defense system now your job as rick o'shea is you are the uh you are the you are the ultimate assassin assassin um so kind of like the spy hunter in spy hunter you 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 assassinate assassins so you're sent into the building to assassinate the assassins who are there to assassinate the scientist are you keeping up there's a lots of assassins all right what this entails is you running from screen to screen trying to avoid the shots of the robot defense force I didn't mention them, did I? There's loads of robots no. that are moving around all these screens that uh, also can't tell you from assassins, from scientists. That's a bad robot defense force. No, <laughs> never le- never, never um, worry about galactic threats. We've got a wayward robot defense force here. Anywho, you run from screen to screen um, trying to shoot... Uh, trying to find the assassins in a big complex and there are so it's kind of a flick screen dual level kind of like v sort of in the same way it was in the way it's presented although it's fully 2d it's not sort of pseudo 3d there's Um, no locked doors no that's kind of where it does it's it's um 
No, there are no locked doors, thank God. Um, that's kind of where it's resemblance. But if you imagine V, it's similar to that. We'll look at another game. A few games have actually taken that sort of dual level um, thing on. Um, anyway, so you have a map which you can which you can see at all times, and the assassins will show up as a glowing dot on that map as you move across the screens. You, your dot will move towards them. There are eight different areas districts for you to chase them through there the nightclub statue park the office the library docklands cathedral pipeworks and greenhouse uh, you can transport between them and if you imagine there's a cube and each one of those takes up a little part of the cube or so a square sorry and each one of those areas takes up a little part of the um part of the square you kind of have to move between them because the the glowing dots on the map you've got to kind of go from place to place when you get into a teleport go from until you until one of the areas you're in is actually where the where they are you'll if you play it you'll you'll see what i mean but it's kind of hard to describe um so you transport there you chase them down you find them you shoot them you head back you get a total of five i think it's five to kill in the first uh, on the first loop round if you find all five kill them well done general office rocker sends more and so on and so on and so forth and loop round until you you lose all your lives and you die because you've got health and you, you know, everything's shooting at you. So that's what you do. This is brought to us by the team who gave us Robin of the Wood. Uh, so this is uh, Mark Dawson uh, on design and code, Stuart Fotheringham on visuals. And luckily we now have Fred, Re- Fred I think it's Fred Gray. We have Fred Gray um, on music. And quite frankly, the music in this game is a stunner. It's brilliant. It's got such a pace. It's a, it's hummable. It's fast. It, it almost it's another one of those tunes that lifts the game quite a lot you play it with this music sort of thing and you really get into it you can really play it a lot um, play it quite a lot because that tune just drives you along um, the visuals are really nice Stuart Fotheringham has a really really good graphic style um, he gets a lot of colour and definition and animation and feel and they're, they're really really nice visuals they're chunky but they're not horribly chunky they're well animated just like Robin of the Wood was and notes of Yes Odd um, and other games that he worked on and, and obviously Mark Dawson is a very competent coder because this all runs very fast everything's slick everything works as it should um and it's good but it's not without its issues so what are its issues it gets a bit repetitive there's very little to do beyond run from screen to screen and shoot stuff and it's because it's very fast because it just it never stops it's very very little time to pause it can get repetitive quite quickly even though this it's quite nice that if you shoot some of the robots they stay dead when you move from screen to screen it's very easy to just be getting shot all the time it's very hard to dodge any kind of bullets or thingy and very quickly your health will go down and you'll be dead and you've got to start again with five assassins so that's a bit of a pain the there is the core of a really really good game here which i would really like but it just needs a, a what from my point of view would be a a couple of um a couple of changes that is one way to get your health back you know if you have some some way to get your health back at all so that would be really good that, that would be just a really good a helpful thing alternatively when you die you didn't go back to the beginning and have to chase all five down again you know give me the choice sort of thing. that one of the two would have helped this game be a lot more accommodating because having to kill all five in one go without losing all your health because those robots are just everywhere and they're just shooting constantly and it's so fast and you're dead before you know it half the time it just feels a bit punitive everything else around this game is great presentation wise um visuals music design um the way it looks the way it plays from the title screen from the opening music it feels very robin of the wood it's got a very robin of the wood title screen and the way it dissolves and goes into the game it's very very similar to that it's just the, the the constant depletion of health, that thing just kind of sucks the fun out of it a bit. It just needed a little bit more to it, I think, and would have been, you know, an absolute classic. That's what I think. What do you think? 
Um, it's interesting, actually, isn't it, Mission AD? I've not, it wasn't a game I'd played a lot back in the day. So I came at this with kind of fresh eyes. It was okay. And it was fun. So I quite like the graphics. I quite like the look and feel of it. The pace was nice. It's fast. That was also to its detriment because it felt like you weren't really controlling so much because it was just, you weren't really given time to avoid things or half the time. So you just kind of ran into stuff yeah. and eventually, you know, you were kind of being punished a bit. But all said and done, it was nice animation on the graphics. The graphics were quite good. The music's catchy, but repetitive, but it is catchy enough and doesn't get annoyingly repetitive. So it kind of gets away with that. And I found it quite genuinely fun to play. Then once you master kind of navigating with the map and going up and down the lifts and going around, I didn't feel like there was a great deal of tactics to learn in this game. It was just kind of, no, yeah. don't get killed. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that lens sort of leans into the kind of repetitive nature of it a bit. But I had fun playing it. And I think it, it isn't a game you're going to sit there for 12 hours and play because I think you'd get very bored very quickly because it is very samey. But it's a game that you'll play for a bit and try and get so far and then you'll leave it for a while and then you'll come back and you leave and you will come back to it um, because it is at least an all-encompassing, fully functional working game with quite a nice little you know, story behind it as well. And so I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. The music, you know, Fred Gray's music is kind of, it's kind of a nice progression from what other stuff he's been doing. It's good. So I would recommend that it's worth a go. There are, unfortunately, I think, the only downside, if there is one, there seems to be a lot of games like this. Mm -hmm. Even in this yes. episode, there seems to be quite a few. And even in the last episode, in fact, the last two, there was, episode, there was quite a few games where you were kind of walking around and either shooting things or searching for things. There's even more in this episode in this particular episode and the next one. So this kind of a theme that's starting to develop about these kind of sort of flip screen, dual layer platformers. And at least this one is successful in what it's trying to do and doesn't over-egg its pudding a bit. But it, it, I think it just suffers from kind of being a bit samey level on level. But you know what? Mm. No, is it, it no? We don't fire those kind of criticisms at arcade games that often. So no, no, no true. But it's it's not an arcade game, is it? It's a home computer game. Yeah, no, it isn't. But the logic, what I mean, the logic is, you know, the heritage of these games is that kind of arcade logic for this particular one. I don't know. Mm. I, I never felt like I was exploring anything in great depth. I just kind of felt like I was, you know, when I went from level to level, the graphics changed and they were nicely drawn. Yeah, they are very still, nice. But it was still the same thing over and over and over again. But all said and done, I still had fun playing it, even with that kind of repetitiveness. I'd much prefer to play this to some of the other games we played, so I had a good time with it. And mm. it was refreshing because I hadn't played it a lot, so that's quite nice. The score, 80%. Yeah, I think it's about right. Maybe maybe they could have given it a bit higher based on their crazy scoring. Maybe it should have been a gold medal and... <laughs> 99% or something, but I think... <laughs> No, uh, 80 to eighty to 85 is probably about right for that. Yeah, I think if there was a little bit of variety between the different areas, um, because yeah. it's weird that you're in, because it's like, you know, where did I say you're in? You're in nightclubs, statue park, offices, libraries, Docklands. It seems odd that there are loads of robot guards around in all those areas. And and maybe what, what would have been nice was that some of them were a bit more empty. So, because they would be, or different patrons, or, you know, the nightclub had bouncers in, or... That kind of, you know, more more suitable people in within them to try and stop you. Yeah, I don't know. Obviously, there's there's quite a chunk of game there though, and there's quite a lot yeah. of different levels. And I like the way that they all interlock on that map. That's that's nice. The map was clever, and I, I like the map, and I like the fact that you were kind of an assassin killing because you had to kill a certain number of them, didn't you, over on each level? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yes. when you killed them, you know, you got the end of level, and then you went to the next one, and you had to kill a certain. I quite the logic of it's quite good. Yeah. I think you no, know, there's this this could be a part of a bigger game really. But either way, it's fun. Oh, same and it? it was a bit fun so I, I did enjoy it yeah yeah it's all right there you go that's mission ad so there you go that's, that's that one played let's uh move on to our next game oh 
God, Lord. Caverns of Erebon. So mm. just as an aside, by the way, uh, dear listeners, um, we have Cheapest Creepers again within this um, within these couple of episodes. So Zapped had a budget range, budget section again, which we've split out into its Cheapest Creepers sections. But they also reviewed within the main body of the magazine other games that were in the were in the budget range that were not part of the budget range or Cheapest Creepers or whatever. So we're not quite sure. This is a budget game, one ninety nine, but wasn't in the budget section. Should it have been in the budget section? Should it have been in any section? Graham, tell us. Well, at one ninety nine, it's cheap, but that doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean that it's, it's, it's any good. <laughs> ugly and um, cheap. <laughs> very ugly and cheap. So um, in this, you are a pilot of a supply ship, and you've got to deliver various things to the mining depots that are scattered around the caverns of Erebon, hence the title. So you've got to pick up supplies, refuel ships, and find the landing strips, and, and do all of those things, and deliver the goods. And you'll start to get, if I just describe this more you just start to get the feeling that this is kind of a very similar game to fort apocalypse that we talked about in episode zero i think or episode one no i don't think we ever mentioned fort apocalypse Oh, well, so it's like Port Apocalypse then, which is kind of this kind of thing. So the game where you're exploring caves Airwolf. to pick up the thing. An airwolf, yeah, similar to Airwolf. Exploring the caves and avoiding the obstacles and the walls and doing all of that thing. And you've kind of got momentum in this as well. So when you move your craft around, it can get a bit messy. I didn't quite know what to make of this game, really. Um, <laughs> Are you being polite here? Um so I didn't quite know what to make of it because part of me wanted to think, well, one ninety nine, okay. I'm not. What do what? What should I be expecting for one ninety nine? Should I be expecting Kickstart? Yeah, us. and 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 yeah, and you know what? What I was presented with was really squeaky, horrible audio with this game, like really squeaky. I found it quite hard to control um, and difficult to get into. And Foot Apocalypse did it all better anyway. There was a lot of brown. Badly drawn brown <laughs> things in this game. So there was just a lot of brown. And it's a kind of a cavern-y search, which is never something you want to hear, either cavern or cavity. No one wants to be doing any of that. Especially not in the search for brown. Um, and this was kind of an aeroplane, wasn't it? So why why an aeroplane? Why that? Why make it that thing? Why not make it anything but an aeroplane? that is like a jet plane. So it, I suppose if I was going to put this head-to-head with another budget game, it's kind of going for the kind of thrust crown. Well, do you know what? It's just, no, you you lose because thrust is this you know if you're going to go for an explore the cave and get the things and escort them out and do the thing and do all of that thing with an airplane and you're going to make it if it's a bit like thr- if it's a bit like thrust but it's more like the kind of airwolves in the fort apocalypse but done badly just it's just rubbish and so i found it a really unplayable version of those there's better games of this type already out so this is a firebird oh surprise surprise it's a firebird game so fire turd as i'm now calling them <laughs> so this is a fire turd game and it's one, and I felt that it was just showing that they'll publish anything. So I had a feeling people just show up to the the office of Firebird and go, "I've I've made this," and they just showed them a picture of a cassette, and they're like, "Yeah, give us it. We'll put that out." So it's uh, I described this in my final sentence of my review as this was another eight bit dump on the chest of the C sixty four. So ah bah, awful waste of time. Twenty five percent you got in Zap. I think that was ridiculously generous, but that's me. What about you? No, I'm uh, yeah. Well, I'll just read my notes. What the hell is this? Sub-1981 style arcade visuals and music credited to two people who both need a good talking to. Terrible cavern exploring <laughs> nonsense with awful everything. Controls are woolly and yep. imprecise. The enemies are rubbish. Crap. That was it. <laughs> that yep, was my that's review. It. That's it. It doesn't need much more than that, does it really? No. No, it doesn't. This was awful. The The fact that you start on... Because this, 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 uh, I've almost wiped this from my brain. But this is one where you start on the surface, isn't it? And there's the homing missiles immediately. Yes, um, yeah, that's the one. And, you have to, and then you can go down and 
And That's then the one. There's, there's drops and there's stuff and there's... Oh, it's rubbish. It's just garbage Dog to egg. foist this on anyone for two quid. And I thought, not not so much thrust. This was more of a uh, Phantom of the Asteroid or Phantom of the Asteroids or Phantom of the Asteroids, whatever it is. Similar, yeah, yeah, similar, similar, similar to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, it's a bit more open. But, you know, if you're going to play something like this and you want something big, go play Phantom of the Asteroids. At least that's yeah. passable. Yeah. This is garbage. Utter crap. Garbage. Yeah, crap. Let's move on. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Remember what we said last time. This is 75% shit. So yeah. why would why would you <laughs> want to do that? That's true. This is a Caverns of Error bannable offence. It is. That's this what is, I think. You, you've just dived into a swimming pool and you've hit a <laughs> massive, like a kid's just pissed. And you you do, yeah, totally, yeah. I was, I was trying to avoid that—the whole idea of diving into a, a turd. But I think you know, some young kids uh, just uh, done a nice warm, you no, know, let let the bowels go in there, nice and warm pee, and you've just dived face first into that, and open mouth probably a bit, so salty, yeah, absolutely, salty urine flavored swimming pool water. You've just gulped that down, and that's exactly what that game is, and that's what I think of you, Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Karen's a very wank. (laughs) Anyway, move on. For God's sake, move on. Let's do it. That's enough of that game. And this is our so this is our last game before we get to a couple of uh, cheapest creepers that we have in this section. Our next one is a sizzler, a sizzler, dear listeners. It is a night sizzles. games. It sizzles away. This one. It does sizzle. So this is night games. So night games is from English software. Uh, they're the people who brought us uh, Electric Guide. Electro Glide uh, the other week. But now what they've turned their mind to is instead of futuristic motorbikes, we've gone to medieval thwackathons. Yes. Um, I think it's the only thing I can think to uh, I think say. That's this. a good so, description. Yeah, so because I've put so if the simple act of kicking each other doesn't appeal, um, which you know, for your for your combat your combat delights, how about wailing on each other with axes, swords, pikes, quarterstaffs, and ball and chains? Yes. Um I'll do if it. that sounds more your cup of tea, then night games is the game for you. Um uh, because that's what it is. Night Games is a multi-event whack 'em up, beat 'em up um, type game uh, with a couple of skill-based games thrown in for good measure in the form of archery and crossbow. Yes. So we'll just deal with actually we'll deal with them last sort of thing because you can probably deal with the most of the the other six versions of the game. So as I said, we've got. We've got axe fighting. We've got sword fighting twice. We've got two types of sword fighting, but they're both the same. But we can hit each other with pikes. We can hit each other with quarterstaffs. And we can hit each other with ball and chains. Now, all of these, there are six of them. Swords come twice. We have, all of them follow the same pattern. We do. You you are spawned out of a scroll, which is very weird. A medieval scroll I rolls up the screen. That, I liked it, but it fit, doesn't really fit the, uh, it's like some kind of weird sci-fi. It's like for this, I was thinking that maybe people are jacking into some weird game from the future, kind of like we were actually and <laughs> rolling themselves and some strange like medieval you know real time thing i don't know whatever um so you unroll from a, a scroll the opponent does the same whether that's a computer player who has three different difficulty levels or whether it's a human and then you basically hit the crap out of each other whether yeah. you hit each other with axes whether you hit each other with swords pikes it's all the same it's just you have eight different moves uh, there's nothing with the the only thing the uh, hitting the fire button does allows you to walk left or right. Um, all the other moves are accessed just by moving in one of the eight directions. Um, supposedly in the sword fights, the diagonals do defensive moves. I'm not sure about that, but I'm th- I'm think they do, but I'm not sure about the um, the usefulness of them, shall we say? So this game is presented side on, exploding fist, international crack style for most of it. 
and the whole way that these fights play out is each uh, person has 10 shields and 10 and each shield is represented by 10 roses every time you land a hit on your opponent one of the roses is knocked out knock down all 10 and they lose a shield so you've got to hit them quick bit of mass 100 times every 20 times you hit them they will fall to their they'll fall to their knees or the bum or whatever or collapse over and you will unravel from your scroll again and restart when you get hit it's kind of a bit bit of a action stopper i wasn't quite sure why it did that actually i just kind of like to have carried on um i'm not quite sure anyway that's it really there's just i didn't find that there was much strategy other than just hitting as fast as i could you can change them so you can play for longer there is time the, the visuals for all these are very nice the animation's very good mm. it's, it's you know it's, it's there's a lot of animation to this because obviously there's six different events are in six different locations you've got a nice back well i say nice the backgrounds are a bit weird they're a bit kind of charactery bitty they're strange so there's a castle there's countryside there's the court staff is fighting on a log um on uh, over a river and so on and so forth it's very medieval very uh, quaint old english hitting each other with big big things hmm. and that's it really i'm not sure whether it works better in two player because obviously i haven't played it in two player but in a single player mode it really is just a case of just hit as fast as you can until you can whittle them down the time limit is quite nicely shown because it's a candle melting down uh, on the left of the screen that was really cool and 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 that's a nice touch the presentation and visuals and everything around this game are really nice the two other the two other events that you can do you've got archery so pull down your joystick your player knocks the arrow they sort of turn turn to the left and face where they've got to shoot and in the distance between two trees there's a rope and this uh sort of wooden horses move along them you have to shoot the horses essentially for for more point this takes quite a bit of skill actually because your your target is mm. wobbling around um, and you've got to lead the horses. So you've got to be well in front of them because obviously you've got a lot of time for your arrow to get there. And that's simply a score-based attack attack game. Over, you know, you have a certain amount of time or arrows, how much score you get is, you know, and that's quite good because that's more skill-based. Same with the crossbow. With the crossbow, similar sort of thing. You have three uh, targets that will be spinning around. You have a big circle one, a cross, and a smaller circle one that's further away, harder to hit, wobbly, wobbly reticule. Uh, hitting them gives you points and so on and so forth. Again, another, another skill based one all in all this is a really really good package of games it's fun it's bright the music is really good dave whitaker pieces throughout some better than others but generally all of them pretty good none of them you know get on your nerves or anything so they're all pretty decent as i said the graphics are nice they're big they're bold they're well animated it's more in kin to hess I would say in the way that it functions because you just pick an event and go at it and you get a score and then there's no way at least I didn't notice there's no way to play through all of them in a tournament is there? I didn't know there is I don't don't think there was didn't miss that one so you just play them it's kind of like PES games you just play them once you play you go back you choose your next one and so on and so forth it's good it's just the the combat is just a bit brainless it's just a bit mindless there's there's not much strategy to it there might be a bit more if you played in two player but I think in two player it would be who could move the joystick fastest yeah it's just a um, it is a slogathon, yeah, for for however long you do, and maybe there's a they go on for a bit too long. I don't know. It is it's fun. I think ninety percent is about bang on for this for the the the, the amount of stuff in this, the amount of fun you got to get out of it because it is fun all the way through, and especially you get multiple players playing this, you're gonna have quite a good time with this. I think uh, that's my opinion. What, what was yours? I I agree. I always liked night games. I always liked the music. I remember it very well. The Dave Whitaker soundtrack to this. It always it was always a bit of a brainless sort of bashathon 
And it, that was it's always its downfall. And, it, you know, on replay, it remained the same kind of logic. So there's no real skill involved in, apart from the archery, there's no real skill involved in what you're doing. The moves don't really counter each other or, you know, not in any way that kind of makes any sense in the kind of you know, panic-stricken flurry of joystick and bashing that you do when you play it. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. just end up, you know, clubbing a guy to death repeatedly as much as humanly possible, really. Even in two-player, I imagine the longevity of its attraction might wane but i had fun playing it this time as i have always had fun playing it and it at least is something a bit different now i'll come to that in a minute but one thing i will say here's just an interesting thing for you way back when i was in secondary school i actually re-engineered for want of a better term copied is what some people might otherwise say one of the the pieces of music from uh, night games um and actually played it to the music teacher at whitgift school which is where we went in Grimsby, um, and I did a, I converted it to a duet with Joe Hammond, and we both played a duet of one of the tunes from Night Games as a piece of our one of our final sort of pieces of GCSE music. Apologies to Dave Whitaker because we kind of blatantly ripped you off, but it went down very well. So just you might, I thought you might want to know that because you know, it was genuinely <laughs> genuinely well appreciated. Anyway, that's one aside. The other thing I was going to say is um, that I think this is kind of an underrepresented genre. I always felt there was kind of a good space to have a game involving knights of the realm doing stuff like bashing each other with swords and and I felt that the one thing this was missing, or what not maybe one thing, but one of the things it was missing was the ability to try different weapons against different weapon types. So, you know, ball and chain versus sword or and just mm. You know, just those kind of things, you know, wrap this up in a bit of Excalibur cloth and you've got kind of a John Borman's Excalibur game. Um, you know, it wouldn't yeah, have been, yeah. it's not, it's not out of the realms of possibility to have a get involve a game where you've got knights of the, of the realm fighting each other using, you know, knights and shining armor type stuff. And it just seems to be, to me, a bit of an underrepresented genre. There's a game that comes out later on the Amiga, which is kind of a bloodbath version of this, where it gets really gory and violent. Um, oh, Moon, Moonstone, Moonstone. Yeah. Where it's got that kind of, you know, similar kind of vibe, not a sort of event-based game. But I think this is kind of unique. It's a different take on the multi-event game. This isn't something you're going to, you know, you're not comparing this to an epics game. So it's this isn't Summer Night Games 2 um, or anything like that. This is different. The music's good. The graphics, I think, are really good, albeit that they're just a bit lacking in. I don't know. I would say I wouldn't say animation because there's not a lot of animation in it, but they're okay for what they are. And I they're arcade quite a style. Lot, and, and they're certainly better than uh, another game we'll look at next week, it, with this, which is a similar multi, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, multi-event yeah. Uh, kick em up. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not complaining i think there's there's enough in there to warrant this being you know it is a great game but you know it got 90 percent again i don't get it i don't get the scoring you know what i'm going to just stop questioning the scoring now i think this this out of all the games in this episode this probably deserved the gold medal you because reckon? of it's yeah i think because it's it's unique it's a different take the graphics are good the sound is good it plays and it's complete it feels like a gun fun game. Me, yeah, it's a bit repetitive, maybe. But since when has that been a problem? Because you could argue that Ghost and uh, Sir, sorry, Green Beret and a number of others that probably should have also deserved a gold medal are those things. I don't get why this scored less than something like Way the Exploding Fist. It's you know maybe if they'd have just made it a bit bigger. I don't know. I don't. There's maybe a number of things you could say we could have improved this by doing this, that, and the other. I think it's a good single multiplayer fun game. Who doesn't enjoy bashing the crap out of their mate? You know, with a mace or with a pike or whatever. Maybe it gets a bit samey, but I don't know. There's a lot to go at here, really. It's it's you know you're talking about eight sort of games really in one. I Mm -hmm. think it's not bad value for a ten quid. So and I remember really enjoying playing this back in the 
the day. And then when I replayed it for this, it, I was straight back in the zone with it. Although I have to say, my one caveat really is that it did get repetitive and it was quite clear that the various levels aside from the archery were kind of almost the same thing with different sort of weapons. But you know what? It's a fun old game. I'm just surprised that there isn't like a PS5 version of something like this where you've got knights in shining armor fighting people. Maybe there is, I don't know. There is, For Honor. All right, well, there you go. I, I don't play enough By PlayStation Ubisoft. games to know. For Honor is, is that kind of game you're kind of describing where loads of different types of uh, uh, enemy types sort of thing fight around. You've also got things like chivalry and stuff like that. I've never played days. any of those games. But I suppose my, my the only thing I can liken this to is a bit like when you play Assassin's Creed or one of the Assassin's Creed games where you're fighting some of the Templars mm. in some of the yeah, earlier yeah. versions of that. And that's what I mean. The logic of the game and that idea really works when it's in that context. It's brilliant. And so this game, logic of night games, actually is a kind of a playable thing. And the idea of chivalry and games involving Knights of Shining Amber, well, Defender of the Crown comes you know, later down the line and other games of that type. But um, I like the idea of what they tried here. I think it's a bit, at least it well, was this a gets, bit different. This does get a sequel, doesn't it? There is a sequel coming. There is night games too, yes, there is. I, I don't think I really played it very much. So it, It's not, not sure. as good, I don't believe. But you know what? I, it's a game that I have very rusty memories about, so yeah, I'm very same, interested yeah. to see what it's like. Yeah, but there you go, night games. It's fun, fun, mindless, very mindless, but fun. You know, taking chunks out of each other with uh, various medieval weaponry, <sighs> and then playing night games. <laughs> hey, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay, so that was night games. Now we're going to move into. Uh, well, we're going to spread them through the episodes this time. So we've got a couple of cheapest creepers just to round out this section. Jeepers creepers, where'd you get those peepers? Jeepers creepers, where'd you get those eyes? Um, these were in Zap's budget range. Um, the first one of these is Ninja Master. Ninja Master. Graham, tell us aye, about Ninja Master. Ah. <laughs> Well, you know what? I'm not going to go into too much depth with this because <laughs> yeah. I don't deserve Ninja it. games, I remember them. Um, it's a multi-event game. So it's like night games, really, but ninja games. Good old ninja games. Only, only you're kind of a solo ninja kind of in this one. And you've got to do the very various types of ninja-style events. So kick the arrows, break the beam, block the shurikens, and that kind of thing. And most of it seems mm-hmm. to be, at least from my experience of the games, seems to be played from you control a character who's in the centre of the screen, a ninja, no less, and you control them directionally with the joystick. And those directions, things are fired at you in the directions that you press. Mean that you're blocking the things that are firing at you ninja style, so arrow cutting. I believe this the the actual term of it, but could be wrong. Um, and so those are the things that you do. So that's kind of the game, multi-event ninja, multi-ninja events, doing ninjury stuff to do to get you know score better score for doing and blocking the more shurikens and the more arrows and the more beams and things like that. I didn't get that far into it much further because I thought it was dreadful. <laughs> The graphics were really (laughs) awful. The lag on the controls was inexplicable because my understanding of ninjas is that they're agile, super fast, almost like shadow speed. No, blinks, blink speed. No, assassin types that can leap up to a rooftop fly around, run around almost silently, if not totally silently, and all that kind of ninja stuff that we all <laughs> remember from the various 
conversations we've had with our friends about ninjas because probably not based on any kind of reality but it doesn't matter so this is kind of uh, this if if you think of a ni- what the ninja the ninjas that this game is based on are the kind of way of the tiger ninjas mm, we had very much way so. of the tiger and the whole idea of ninjas and assassins had become quite a popular thing in the mid mid 80s mid early to mid 80s both in terms of literature for the kind of age group so the whole of the um way of the tiger books you know assassin and usurper and there's i think there's about seven or eight of them i don't know all of them off the top of my head so and also in popular culture ninjas had become a thing so there was films like um american ninja turtles their ninjas are appearing in mod- in popular culture shogun for example the miniseries had a whole sequence of ninjas in it let alone other stuff ninja turtles yeah of course yeah i completely forgot about them but the, the whole idea of ninjas had become a thing so this game kind of is playing on that. The controls are really laggy and lack the responsiveness to be able to really make this game effective as a ninja. It's got really weird speech, like really <laughs> weirdly scratchy speech. In fact, I've got put a quote that said, I'm not sure what Ru, Rav, or Horohai has actually, what it means. <laughs> well, no, just, it's just I'm, I suspect the trials of the ninja, which I'm... I don't doubt is a film in from you know it's it's a film that's probably been made and I've watched a few episodes of you know The Master with Lee Van Cleef and a few other you know the, I can't tell you why ninjas were pretty popular at this particular time you know even conversations I was having at school level with my other friends were about ninjas they were practicing the ninja moves out of those stupid assassin books mm-hmm. on us all a couple of people I can think of in particular I won't name even went to the extent of buying ninja suits and <laughs> scaring the bejesus out of people Anyway, long and the short of it is, is this game any good? No, it's not. It's crap. I've put that it's uh, the, the speech, which was crap anyway, added nothing to this ninja slowness simulation of arse cake. It was awful. And so 28% was generous, I think. And I think it scored 28% because it was 199. I thought it was just pantaloons. Rubbish. <laughs> um, but you know what? We're going to come across a few ninja games that are just as bad. So this is just the beginning, yeah, I think, ninja, I, go a tip away. of a terrifyingly bland and boring and crappy graphic ninja iceberg but what did you think uh yeah this is rubbish uh four mm. event ninja hypersports type thing with awful graphics and sound all around terrible speech although it was kind of funny uh even for 199 this is bad do you know what this reminded me of do you know when you used to and no disrespect so, so some people made good games but when we used to go and see some of the uh early years game development stuff so the level three stuff and they'd be like oh look at this they've made a game and this reminded yeah. me of some of those like first not bad because this is like yeah. students first attempt at making something so they'd have in unity and you'd have you press a key and you'd have like a two-frame animated sprite that would do something and you'd be like oh yeah okay yeah it works it's but it's that but then somebody's decided to make that and release it yeah. for two quid Onto an unsuspecting public. That's what this is. Releases, yeah, right? It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a black release. That's what this is. Like a ninja slips out without any noise or fanfare, but you soon know, <laughs> but you soon, but you soon know about it through its awful stench. So it's like a, um, it's like a ghost turd, you know. <laughs> they slip out when you're least expecting it. Well, when you get to our age, that can happen. <laughs> it can and does. <laughs> Absolutely, driving, walking to the shop, the cinema, <laughs> the screams of the people sat next to you. What are you picking up there? Yeah. Oh, it's just from a dog. You don't, you don't have a dog. Uh, <laughs> Getting the extra large popcorn in case you need the toilet midway through. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. But <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, extra salty. Awful. Yeah, just crap. Just a yeah. really bad, bad thing. And it does, you know, someone must have thought, you know what would be really good? You know, ninjas at ninja events. Like, let's do ninjas in some kind of event stuff and they have the thing in. But then wrapped it all in two-frame crap animation. Just- yeah. Yes. And you know what worries me a bit is that out- this is like... 
people are out there thinking that they've completed this game, if that is even possible. And they are ninja mas- they are ninja masters, and that worries me that post nineteen eighty six the world of the ninja went downhill rapidly when people thought that was mastery of ninjutsu. Well the graphics corrupted on the fourth level on this. I got to the fourth level and they corrupted, but I still managed to get managed to get through it, but I don't know what happened effects it then properly crashed. But yeah, I'm a I'm a I am a I am a a ninja master. I can now class myself as a ninja master. I will be uh, jumping from a tree on a bed very soon. I will be going all kung fu. Um, David, is it David, John Carradine or David Carradine? Not uh, John, he's David. too old. Which he one of the Carradines Carradine, is in dead. kung fu? Yeah, him. I'll be going all David. <laughs> well, he wasn't back then. <laughs> or is he? Is he the ultimate ninja master? You think he's dead? <laughs> and we all think he's dead, but he's really he can't be seen. But he's apart from the ones who've mastered it by this game. <laughs> When they just stand in the middle and wait for things to be thrown at them <laughs> in two frames. In two frames. Why don't you? Why do? You, why do your arms go from straight to bent in with nothing in between? What worries me and baffled me is that I had. I think I had faster reactions than this game was making me believe I had. So I, the, the stars are coming towards me, and there are, by the way, shuriken and arrows that fight you in this game, which you have no chance of being able to beat because yeah. even if you press the joystick to the corner, it is then like at least a second before it goes. Okay, you're doing that now, are you? So you're going to do left corner block. Oh, it's too late. Ar- arrow in your chest. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what else? this reminded me of as well somebody had played international karate or way the exploding fist and they'd played it and what they'd taken away from it was do you know what make a great game is those bits in between the fighting people love those bits so let's let's make a whole game based around them but crapper <laughs> those middle bits <laughs> that's it yeah, yeah that's it that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's what they've done <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they did. That's, 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 that's what the thought process around this was. And you can tell. And really bad versions, yeah. And it's all good if you're a practicing ninja and you expect things to be thrown at you from three exact levels, like top, middle and bottom, because you're <laughs> totally engineered to like block or at that Or turn level. around. But what if they just throw on like between top and middle? You're like, no, I, <laughs> there is no block for this. My ninja skills do not allow me to block at that level. <laughs> The other thing that annoyed me about this as well, because that what the first one where you can do two arms, two legs, and the the diagonals, I get yeah, that. Yeah. But the second one where you've got to do basically top, middle, or bottom. Why do they still insist on the diagonals, <laughs> which are tricky to get? Why not just up, right, down, which is easier? You're asking for logic. You're only looking for one input then. The path of the ninja is never easy. <laughs> no, it, we know not one input. We do multiple things. Exactly. <laughs> None of them good. You have not learned from the ninja masters. <laughs> Not these ones, anyway. <laughs> the shortest distance between two points is the most difficult route possible. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Sensei. Can I have another? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've learned. And that's what I think Hang of on, you, ninjas. Let me just ninjas. crack open another, another uh, cookie. <laughs> <laughs> don't listen to Graham he's don't not a ninja who put, who put that cookie there <laughs> oh ninja master's crap yes right let's move on that's one jeepers creepers you think that's bad jeepers creepers where'd you get those eyes next one up got four percent four percent four i've 4%. never seen anything so low in my life 4%. Four percent this is jet strike mission i mean this and this was five pound <laughs> five pound that's only one pound fifty less than international karate less than a pound this is percent. more than i got per week that's to do good. my paper round if i had saved up and spent my paper round on this you know there'd have been i'd have had to there'd have been rage 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 <laughs> So, my main question around this is, why would anyone send this in for review? Why? Well, what point do you think this why is worth reviewing? Why would anyone release it? Well, for cheap lols. Turgid, boring, character graphic-based fight thing that is awful. I'll put... Um, that's it. That's all I want to say about this game. If this was Jet from Gladiators, we'd have been onto something. If it was like, you know, Jet, jet Strike Mission... <laughs> 
<laughs> it would have been good though, wouldn't it? Because so, he could have done yes, it like a ninja. Yes. She could have been like saboteur based around Imagining Jet going that in and she probably wouldn't stuff. be wearing the same clothes as that, well, but that's fine. Uh, you never know. Attacks everyone with them giant <laughs> cotton buds <laughs> yeah, that they had. Absolutely. You have massive ears. What <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, pugil sticks, I believe they called them. Yeah, they're only good. Okay, yeah. Get, bring out the pugil sticks. They're only good on sticks, Dumbo. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of the worst things I've ever seen. And that's when I've picked out, I've, I've noted here, this is worse than when I pick out the wrong game from our bank of ROMs with the same name as something yes. else. <laughs> and I've given you some crap to look at. And it's, this is worse. Yeah, I thought it also, was for the first time. did you, by the way, did you make the mistake of asking for it to tell you the controls? Yes. What did you do for the next 20 I minutes? Say, <laughs> I was waiting for ages and ages and ages. Like, are you going to tell me what, what we're doing? through and boringless. Also, I put 10 print crash, 20 go to 10 is not how you do a crash routine for a plane. Because that's what it did. <laughs> that's literally what it does. It just fills the screen with the word crash. Yep. It's awful. This is dreadful. It's a, I, I don't know what it, it's supposed to be this character graphics it's a flight it's awful it's crap <laughs> do, you want, do you want to end there because well, no, there's not I'll, a lot I'll, else all, is there? To, all i can add is yes does it win the <laughs> award for the most commodore 64 character graphics used for the layout of a some kind of cockpit yeah yeah I mean, yeah massively that was, that's that's creative use of character graphics and that's the only thing that there is really this is obviously written basic and obviously not very well so it's not going to be optimized which means it's awful i thought i think it's a typing game from somewhere that someone's just adapted it did not look like a legitimate game so i think it's a scam really the equivalent of a kind of a phishing scam there's no way it could be considered other than a ripoff really and i wouldn't ever waste my time loading it downloading it to any of those things i think it is any if anything it's a nice reflection of how how far things have got from these kind of god-awful crappy releases that we spoke about in the early episodes of this podcast to where we've come now where we've got green beret ghosts and goblins and other games like that an interesting fact this is actually published by the same people that published return of the space warriors the old eggy joust so oh. you think they'd know better so so they've obviously got a benchmark of something so they either didn't play this didn't see it or the person that released it to them lied anyway it's the one and only game made by the person that made it so i thought it was another than that and those interesting factoids which are nothing about the game which is crap and it's worth avoiding at all costs for the rest of time and space it has made me want a jet from gladiators game though yeah jet strike mission with actual jet in it would be much better than this in fact even if it was just a graphical image of jet shouting the word strike mission <laughs> when you press the space bar that would have been more playable than this bloody awful monstrosity so enough said the better awful yeah so there you go that's our first six games we've got tons of games there's tons and tons of games these couple of episodes by the way just Whole so many so if you think this is running long it's, it's not we've had, to, we've had to play tons of the damn more, things loads more loads of them so there you go that's the first section over with we'll be back shortly where we will be looking at music in September 1986 so stay with us Thanks to our sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you'll find stories influenced by classic games from the Commodore 64 and Amiga. His next book, Escape from the Commodore 64, is coming soon. Sarah thought her brother Reese was telling tales when he said he got stuck inside his old bread bin, only to find herself stuck inside it too. Set in the 80s, this book will take you back to the days of Rubik's Cubes, Cabbage Patch Kids, and the best 8-bit computer the world had ever seen. Visit DavidHearnWriter.com, that's David, H-E-A-R-N-E, writer.com, to find out a whole lot more. All right, welcome back. Uh, Let's get on with music in September 1986. Well, number one single, we had one. 
all month. Um, it was Don't Leave Me This Way by the Communards. I said uh, that that was going to be big, I think. Yeah, I think last episode, two episodes ago, you said, I'm sure this got to number one for a good while. And you were right, it did. And in I answer right. to your question, um, which at the time was, and which came first, the Communards are Bronsky Beat. Communards came after Bronsky Beat. So, ah, so, there Bron- we go. so the Bronsky Beat egg was the first one and the... <laughs> Um, the Bronsky Beat Egg. Later. Yeah, and then later coming out, and then solo artist for um, Jimmy Somerville. Jimmy Somerville, all right. Yes, but a very popular song. I actually quite like the coming out in on all set and Bronsky Beat. They're all they were kind of cool at the time. You know, mm. I quite like that kind of sound. So, well, that that guy who's uh, the Reverend guy who's on loads of panel shows was the keyboardist, wasn't he? I can't he remember is. Yeah, he's name. now a fully fledged Reverend. Yeah, he is. Yeah, but he yeah. is. Yeah. He's, he's he's on loads of panel shows on Dave. He is. As the one of the regulars on panel shows on Dave, which is the same twelve people <laughs> cycling round, en- cycling years, round yeah. endlessly. <laughs> the ones that would brave lockdown, yeah. There's been a, you know the same yeah. faces keep propping up. I know Jimmy no, just Carr it. is on everything. It's like my God, just give it a rest, Jimmy. Give someone else a chance. God, get off. Yeah. Just as an aside on that, I, uh, we may be hearing this later in the year, sort of thing. But sad to sad news about uh, Sean Locke. Sadly gone. I, I yes, really, really the, like Sean yeah, Locke. Yeah, the, yes, um, comedian, his, yes. His, his, his comedic style was right up my alley. Brutal and it just he's just so funny, but yeah, sad loss. He was always good in QI. Um, always good in QI, one of my favourites. He was good, he was good in everything. Mm. Um, it's just brilliant. Um, if you haven't seen it, go look at the section where he talks about winning Rectum of the Year um, <laughs> on an 8 out of 10 Cats Do Countdown. He just reduces Claudia Winkleman to... An, an, a, 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 she can't do anything she's just, <laughs> when he's going on about it. His last, his last line about being beaten by Diego Maradona. <laughs> he says, when Diego Maradona bent over, he set the sprinklers off. <laughs> uh, All it good. just kills me. All good. It's brilliant. Yeah, we like Sean. Anyway, number one albums. Two weeks we had now. That's what I call Music 7. Oh, We've spoken about that already. Just floating around like spider webs in the morning, <sighs> just get in the way. <laughs> well, when you've got all those tracks on it, I'm not surprised. Mm. But then replacing that next, the following week after two weeks was Silk and Steel, five star for a week. So um, our answer to the Jacksons. You, indeed. And the second album by the British pop group Five Star, you've noted here, and that this was the group's biggest seller. It was mm, by far their biggest. It would, been, it would have been even bigger if they'd have called it Sapphire and Steel. Yeah. I feel. Yes. Now, don't even get me started on because Sapphire and Steel is a really <laughs> ingenious well, and inventive program from the. Uh, which is late why, 70s, you know, you would, have, you would have courted both the, the young pop audience. And the geeky older audience. I mean, as a TV you know? show, it made no sense. And everyone remembers the one episode with the guy with no face that scared the crap out of every kid between the eight, yeah. you know, between 1978 and 1981, I think, is the time it was on. It might have been a bit before that, but it was scary stuff. That, that episode was terrifying. It was, a, it was a very strange show, Sapphire and Steel, sitting in that no man's land of British um, sci-fi madness. It was kind of along the same line. Is it Joanna Lumley in it? Is that what I'm imagining. Uh, and David... David, what's his face? Uh, the aptly named. Is it David Mc- <laughs> the confused David, what's, David his- what's his face? Yeah. Not David McCallum. I want to say David McCallum. No, I know what you mean. It's that. I know you, we should uh, we we should really look at. We should well, look it up. Well, we should. Well, but tell you what. Sapphire and Steel have been assigned, and I want to say Sapphire. it was jo- Joanna Lumley and David McCallum and Joanna Lumley. Yes, we were right. I so yes, because <laughs> we there right are that. many elements. And it lists the elements with that kind of opening sequence, doesn't it? Famously, and then mm. then it descends into a really off the wall. But they, you know, even this is, we're in the time of the prisoner, so all well. That's like, what I'm saying. This is this is in that, this is in that ilk, isn't it? Of like yeah. the weird British sci-fi where anything 
you could think of went. Yeah, go for, I'd really. go and check it out though because I think it's on BritBox, so it's probably worth checking out because they are quite interesting. Yeah. But really, but just you know, suspend the idea that special effects are very important. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Put your uh, put your special eye on. Graceland was uh, no, final number one for this month. Yes, uh, by Paul Simon. Now we yes. mentioned that. I think we we said it came in, but now it's got to number one. Yeah, um, Graceland was massive. It was huge, and as you've noted here, yeah, uh, somewhere along the line, it 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 sells millions around the world. It's his way by far his biggest album. Um, and yes, I did know he was married to Carrie Fisher. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know he was married I, to I, Carrie I, Fisher. I did. And I do, yes, she may have once said, aren't you a little short for a songwriter? She, <laughs> she very well may have said that. <laughs> she must have said it. it <laughs> I'm trying to think of other said. lines. I'm trying to think of other lines she could have said to him as well. Uh, but uh, I wonder if Paul I, Simon I had a, like a, a cousin that was like a more like manly, taller, sort of, you know, cheeky kind of version, smuggler, you know, on the run from like <laughs> a fat, you know, lizard guy, you know. I want to call him... Han Simon. Yeah. Han, Han Simon. Han Simon, yeah. And he was... And she was always a bit more interested in Han Simon than she was. Who knows? Who knows? There's a weird mirroring <laughs> oh, yeah. of things. They, uh, but uh, interesting all the same. There you go. That's your number one. So new singles of note. Um, 7th September, we had Rain or Shine by Five Star in at number 30. There they are again. Um, and they're still touring, according to you. Yeah, are you they? can go and see them in Southend-on-Sea if you want to see, if you want to see Five Star. <laughs> That's the next gig. You can go and see that. You could book a ticket, I, I suspect. And I could be completely wrong, but there'll be plenty of tickets available, so get in there. Uh, if, uh, if you're uh, digging the old five star, and it's the actual original lineup of five star as well. Well, five. I thought one. Of, oh, in in typical me fashion, I thought one of them was dead. <laughs> well, that would be four star, um, which is a wholly different experience. Now, I think it's the I think it's the original lineup. I'm not going to go into too much depth and no, check. Who cares? Let's, you know, let's just star. assume that it is because it's five star. Walk Like an Egyptian by the Bangles was in at number 72. Oh, God, that song was everywhere. Everywhere, was, Walk Like an Egyptian. Was. That stupid video of people walking like oh, Egyptian. Well, assuming that what Egyptians never walk like that, but... <laughs> no, I probably think they don't. We're thinking Egyptian stereotypes from ancient you know, well, hieroglyphics. I don't, no, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, if you, that's it. If you take the hieroglyphic image of an Egyptian person... Not, and take the fact that it's a language and they represent things, but never mind that. And it's the, and you assume that because they're two D, that's the way they walk. I imagine that they're watching all of the um, Bugs Bunny and Tom and Jerry going these yeah. animals in this. Uh, no one, the animals look completely different. <laughs> to what I'm expecting. <laughs> Do they walk like that? No, they don't walk like an. No. But the song no, was everywhere, don't. wasn't it? And I know it gets a lot higher than that, and I think it remains in the top ten forever after that. I'm pretty sure it does. I think it's, I think, yeah, I think it just get quite high. I'm never sure. I don't think it gets to number one though. No, I think Eternal the Flame was their first that, number yeah, one. For some reason, I have a feeling that oh, what gets held off by something in the UK. It could be held off by you know Clicky Clack Clue by the Bing Bangs or something <laughs> stupid. So, oh, grandma, I love you. Yeah, it'd be something to do with um, grandmas, granddads. Yeah, grandma, grandma met granddad, and things happen we don't want to talk about. <laughs> his teeth fell out and so did hers anyway and a nylon a nylon <laughs> s- slipped <laughs> a nylon slipped and then started a fire <laughs> what they couldn't get out because they were so old and that's the song we're singing anyway never mind that so no. uh, more, more <laughs> i was of, thinking uh, when they were younger no that's anyway horrific <laughs> true right on from an egyptians true colors in at number 87 from cindy lauper is it cindy lauper or cindy lauper uh i don't know i've always said lauper oh i think you're right i think it's La- C- C- <laughs> cindy lauper yeah um, prove me wrong 
<laughs> no, I will. I, I think it is. Do you like Cindy Lauper? Lauper? I like some of the stuff. I like True Colors is good, and obviously the classic, which I completely forgotten now. Girls just want to have fun. No, the other one. There's another one. The other one where she gets on. The, yeah, the way she gets on the time train. Time after time. Time after time. There you go. Yeah, I like that. But I'm not. I'm not huge Cindy Lauper fan. Well, just as an interesting little factoid, this is co-written by one of the most successful songwriters in the last 25 years, a guy called Billy Steinberg. Now you might not have heard of Billy Steinberg. Oh, he's co-writer Tom Kelly, but he also wrote Like a Virgin, True Colors, So Emotional by Whitney Houston, Eternal Flame by The Bangles, and Alone by Heart. So got a pedigree, hasn't it? True Colors. So you can... I just couldn't dig Cindy Lauper's Lauper, Lauper. Her vocals were all wrong. I just scratchy kind of... I think Time After Time's quite sweet. I much prefer the version from that dancing film that came out about the dancers. I can't remember the name of the film, but it'll come back to me. Fame? No, it's it's, um, the one with the ballroom dancing. Strictly Ballroom. Strictly Ballroom. Yeah, there's a version of Time After Time in Strictly Ballroom, which isn't sung by Cindy Lauper, Lauper, thankfully, because I don't like her version. It's a much better version. Actually, duet, which is probably what it should have been all along, really, thinking about it. I mean, it is. It is a duet. I mean, there is a... You don't really notice the male backing vocal in it or the male vocal in the chorus, but it's it, it necessary when you do listen to that. Version. Yeah, but that's because it's Cindy Lauper, Cindy Lauper. doing both. And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, you know... She At the te- same time, she she's incredibly talented. <laughs> yeah, she's incredibly talented. She's got two tonsils, four sets of tonsils. <laughs> she got, she got, I hope she has two tonsils or none. <laughs> no, four sets. <laughs> <laughs> Massive four sets. She, um, she apparently records the... Cindy Lauper female version and then next a load of roids and then angrily <laughs> sings through the remaining vocals of the song and then they merge the two in post-production. Miracle, really. Miracle it got it released. It gets higher than 87 though, so you know, we're not going to be... The, we ain't going to see the back of it this this episode, I'll tell you that. Nah. Then in at number 100, couldn't come in any lower, was uh, Misfit from Curiosity Killed the Cat. Now it gets a lot higher, that one. It does. It does. Uh, I'm sure it does. I mean, unless this is their first... I'm pretty sure this must be their first release because Curiosity Killed the Cat are like at the vanguard of Blandcore. <laughs> you mean you don't like them and their crazy Wait, ways? No, I couldn't, I couldn't stand Ben Von Pellier. I found his annoying, annoying mm. beret-wearing annoying. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have a penchant for t- tiny hats, as you said, but that's too tiny. <laughs> A bloody beret. You're not French. <laughs> He's not French. Not French no, at all. So, no. no, and you're not in the army. <laughs> and, you're, and you're not going stabbing people. So you have no. no right to wear a beret. And I agree that Curiosity probably did kill the cat at some point or has killed cats. But I don't know. think reminding people of that fact all the time is <laughs> very helpful or very generous. It's kind of a mean thing to do. And just as an aside again, did you see the video? Did you watch the video for this? Because it's, it's got Andy Warhol in it. He plays quite I a part. I did not watch it, no. Yeah, they have a big... He's in it holding up placards. A bit like that moment in Love Act actually where the guy holds up the cards to that girl with the writing on and says you know oh like the bob dylan like the bob dylan yeah exactly so it's kind of a Classic. andy warhol pastiche of that doesn't help Ugh. misfit being anything other than a curiosity killed the cat song which for me was like you said I, I i must have had a very early very attuned radar for this garbage because my I, my mind just went no and even at that young age in 96 i was like no so it yeah. was gone and that was it erase done yeah, I had, a fr- I had a friend who liked them, and so he liked a lot of music, which I did like, but he, he liked these kind of bands, mm. but I was like, N- that's a step, step too far for us, you know, I well, didn't used to like it. It was a step too far for no, him no. when you pushed him off a cliff, but, um, <laughs> Absolutely. but we're best not talk about that because the court case is still uh, ongoing for that one. That's what, that's what curiosity got in. <laughs> yes, curiosity killed the cat, so... Uh, cat being my friend. Cat being his friend, yeah, uh, yeah, cat, uh, cat- <laughs> 
That's not a name. It is now. <laughs> Yay! Fourteenth uh, of September is one great thing by Big Country, mm. which is in at number twenty-seven. <laughs> Used on a tenant's a lager advert. Of course, it was the Scottish. Yeah, exactly. This is the third single, and it got used in a tenant's lager, and it reminded me of when I got very drunk on tenant's super strength about <laughs> probably around this time actually with our Tenet friend super Gary. strength was evil. Yeah, evil well, stuff. it was it was cheap. And eight percent. Gary and I ventured to an off license, and because we didn't want to get rumbled because we were massively underage, we walked about twenty miles to go to an off license <laughs> where they had no chance of recognising us. Even though the fact that I was, you know, a big teenager, so a, you know, a big teenager, fat big teenager, with absolutely no chance of being ID'd in any capacity. And also, Gary, I think by this point was probably borderline actually old enough to drink so i don't quite know why we went to this subterfuge of walking for miles it probably just what gary wanted to walk for miles anyway long and the long and the shot is we bought a few cans of this super strength because we thought it was about 10 percent, which for a lager is a lot plus we didn't drink at all really in our naive teen and youth drank loads of this stuff uh and i seem to remember i remember staggering home and falling asleep in the lounge pretending to read the paper and i'm pretty sure gary ended up throwing up everywhere much to his mum's chagrin so uh, sorry, uh, Maggie, we didn't mean to do that. Well, I didn't, but Gary was the one that made us do it because it was him and his fault. But that was the <laughs> early he memory made of... Me do it. He, he, he made me do it. He's still saying it he years did. later. Yes, he did, grown-ups, he did No one cares. He, he does. I do. And she does. She remembers. <laughs> Maggie never forgets. She, she she's, she's, like, she's like the anonymous of the eighties. You'll not. She'll see her coming, and she never forgets. And um, so, no apologies, Maggie, but it was Gary's fault anyway. And um, I it, this is nothing to do with the song by Big Country, but they did use it in the Tenants advert. Graham has started using this podcast as a way to clear his chest <laughs> of all the crazy things he did in the past. Yes, it's a cleanse. <laughs> Next week on uh, whatever that Madonna song was. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Graham apologises for something open else. Open your uh, what, what heart the, to Open me. your heart. What will it be? Who knows? Tune in next week for Graham to clear his heart again. <laughs> because <laughs> at number 67, show, showing out, get oh. fresh at the weekend by good old Mel and Kim. Oh, God. Mel and Kim, yeah, they were, Applebee. They were, oh. <laughs> did you really have a proper crush I on had Mel? a real proper crush on Mel Appleby. She was gorgeous. She's just stunning. And even now, and I look back many years later, and I mean, sadly, she passed away from cancer. Tragic loss, really, because I think she was just just a very beautiful woman. And and even then, I mean, thinking about, and when I was looking back at some of the Top of the Pops episodes, and there was a really sad and sort of meaningful interview with Kim Appleby, obviously, who survives Mel. And just about the life and what they got into and the kind of direction it was heading. And they were just at that massive cusp of being super huge. They were really popular. And then it all got taken away. But she was just beautiful. And it's nothing to do with the fact that she was in Playboy. She was just a, she, nothing at all. She's just a very, very attractive woman. And I, when I look back, I was like, she really was. It would. It's just amazing that how you look at them and you think they're a bit of a what could have been. And I really like showing out and get fresh at the weekend. And I like all of that kind of stuff. Amazing producers that Stockake and Waterman had working for him at that time. Yeah, you've, you've written some troubling words at the end, though. Those cracking house style tracks made brilliant. Just, I find that troublesome. They're they not. Are, they... Stockake and Waterman were crap. No, they're not. That's not true. I don't like Stockake and Waterman. Didn't like them then. If you judge Stockake and Waterman by uh, if, if your understanding of them is Pete Waterman, that's not true. It's their, it's their output. All no, of it. They're like pro- any of it. Pete ha- Phil Harden, Pete Hammond, and Dave Ford pioneered a sound 
And that sound may be got overused and repetitive, but in this early stages with people like Mel and Kim, it's genuinely brilliant. A really nice, punchy, poppy, unique at the time house sound for the UK. Remember, this is a UK produced stuff. House wasn't a UK thing. You know, that came out of the Chicago warehouses and dance clubs. So this was our version of it. And I have to say, and I don't get me wrong, it went downhill rapidly. But these early stuff, like showing out and stuff like that, forget all of the stuff. Remember that they started off by doing sort of um, new energy stuff, like uh, you spin me round and you know, trying to really make a big song and dance in the sort of the gay dance nightclub scene. And they did to some extent. This was reaching out in a different way. And I, I really like it. I guess it's just, you know, horses for courses and stuff. But do I like the London boys or do I like, you know, so macho <laughs> so, and so, some of the other... Sonia. Sonia and some of the other stuff that came later on. No. But for every Sonia and some of the other stuff that came out and some of the derivative nonsense, there's a Mel and Kim track or there's Never Gonna Give You Up. And as much as you might berate them and hate them, pop songs and brilliant pop songs and production, they are. So they're not quite for everybody, obviously, but... I give you Spin Me Right Round. I do like spin, you Spin Me Right Round. Which is odd, because that's, you know... But Good song. They were developing a sound, and they developed it into a... Sadly, and I suppose in some ways sad, I suppose inevitably, really, it developed into a bit of a machine, a production machine. And mm-hmm. they became, the, you know, the hit factory. And when they became that, well, you know what? Um, maybe well, that's all, we all know it all led on. to Hitman and Hair. Well, and, um, yeah, the Hitman and, and Hair was what a strange program that was. you know, was. that's... That at some point you have to just say no, <laughs> in yes. the words of Zamo. Yeah. Um, if ever there was a point when TV was desperate for content, it's when you're asking Michaela Strachan and Pete Walkman to work together to go to a Blackpool nightclub to interview drunk people. <laughs> No, and and they agreed. Like, yeah, let's do that. You know, is it a way for Pete Walkman to play loads and loads of you know Stockaker and Walkman tracks? Who knows? Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. It doesn't matter now. (laughs) No, because at number. Because let's move on. Because uh, 21st of September, "Who Wants to Live Forever" by Queen was in at number 28. Obviously, we're in high. We're still in Highlander territory. We are. We're we're still in. You know, we've, we've still got our Egyptian connection. (laughs) <laughs> with the we bangles have. we have but does brian may sing on this he does where's he sing i can't remember the opening opening lines of this song are by brian sung by brian may there's no time for us the very opening oh yes that's yeah brian may See, I've, wiped, I've, I've wiped that from my mind because i just think it starts God. off with who wants to live yeah, no when, when it, freddie mercury comes it, in it starts off with brian may singing that kind of who wants to live oh, forever the, on his there's own no time yes yeah. yes and oh then, god yeah ah oh, uh, yeah, exactly. So everyone should erase it. And then Freddie Mercury comes in and it sings it properly. And it's like it's like watching someone. It's like a, a recording of someone's singing lesson. So it's like, <laughs> so you sing it how you want to sing it. And then Freddie Mercury comes in and goes, "Okay, I'll do it properly." There's no chance for us. And he just like instantly, it's like, wow, that's like, that's how a singer really does sing it. So, it, and, yeah. uh, and, it, and then from that minute forth, and every time I've heard it, I thought that should not be, it should not be allowed <laughs> because it's so awful. And again, Brian May, very talented on the old telescope and the old guitar a little bit. You know, we know that he has had lessons and that. Amazing, really. But singing, not so much. And it's awful. It's <laughs> I, I, Even thinking about it now makes me think, God, no. I mean, I can, I'm surprised he can actually sing though with a with a guitar the size of a wardrobe. Remember, well, that's quite. That's why you know, he sings that's kind of, falsetto. That's going kind to of strain. That's going to strain the old vocals and other parts of the body. Later down the line, not only does he sing a full song, 
in tribute yes, to Freddie Mercury, which is, you know, too much love will kill you. And he sings that. And all right, I get the meaning and I get everything else. Just get someone else to sing it, Brian, please. You know, I know it comes from the heart. Let it come from someone else's vocal cords. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Your um, wife, maybe? Yeah, anyone that can sing better than that. And then the intro for that, which is awful, but at least Freddie Mercury steps in and goes, right, <laughs> enough of you, Brian. I'll, let me just sing this properly now. That's, uh, why they left it in, I don't know. <laughs> it, then they, later, in 1991, of course, comes Everything We Do Is Driven By You, which was for the Ford advert. I don't uh, remember the time. Yes, I do. That has got the, like an intro at the beginning that, that actually makes you want to cry so bad. And the live version, which, by the way, my last exposure to was the Expo, where you've got Brian May and Steve Vai and... Joe Satriani and Joe Walsh and loads of other famous guitarists, the Guitar Expo of whatever year it was. That's my last expo expo to that particular version of his song where he sings that because it's got that everything I do, I do for you. I can only apologise, listeners. It's actually, it's <laughs> honestly, and that's, and I was paraphrasing it badly, and that's actually said better. <laughs> it's awful. So, God, yeah. no more. No. Who wants no. to live forever? No one, if that's the kind of vocal tonality that's existing in the future. No, people are leaping off cliffs <laughs> rather than, and I've had enough. So, <laughs> no. Lemmings like. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the Pied Piper of crapness. Uh, in at number 30 was State of the Nation by New Order Uh, and yes it does have a feature rare in New Order single in that it does actually say the song title somewhere within it yes because they don't Uh, normally do they they don't normally no True Faith Blue Monday none of those do Uh, in at number 45 World Shut Your Mouth by Julian Cope. Mm. Pretty much the only Julian Cope song I know. I don't know much about him really I know that song because of the chorus which is catchy it is a catchy chorus. I didn't know he was originally the sort of guy from Teardrop Explodes, nor did I realise that he was an, a Neolithic culture expert and author and published a book called The Modern Antiquarian in 1998. There you go. Things that this podcast teaches you. I'd like to hear him sing a version of World Shut Your Mouth as a Neolithic sort of <laughs> man. <laughs> I'd like to hear that. I think that would be interesting and something he could publish in his vo- second volume of The Modern Antiquarian in brackets. Really they weren't great singers. <laughs> it is something to do with their cleft palate. Yes. It's like that crazy video that I will link. I'm going to have to link it now in that, where that guy's, oh. that woman's making that guy speak like a Neanderthal caveman by pushing into his chest and making him scream one, two, three at the top of his voice, which all sounds bizarre, but I'll put the link to the YouTube video in the yeah, website so you true. can check that out for yourselves. Uh, put it in the show notes. It's probably easier. Yeah, I'll do um, True Blue, it's 28th September at number three. We're not going to say any more about that. We've said enough about Madonna. Yeah. And Graham has opened his heart enough. He'll just he'll say something else. He'll go again. He's got <laughs> so much to open about. It's, it's too much. So, uh, in at number 14, I've Been Losing You by Aha. Um, uh-huh. the first, indeed, the first single from the second studio album, Scoundrel Days, uh, an album I prefer to their first album, oh, uh, Hunting oh, High and Low. I wish I, I feel like I should know more about Aha, but... Uh, I, I know them by the songs that everyone knows. Scoundrel Days is worth a listen. It's a lot bleaker and darker and has, has much better. He's got Manhattan Skyline on it and mm. things like that. It's, it's a very, very good album, Scoundrel Days. And it moves away from the poppiness to some degree. There's still some poppy stuff on it, but has more sort of that okay. well, Nor- Norwegian, Norwegian bleakness, um, I think, within it. Uh, it's good. I like Saddle Days. <laughs> Number 23, Suburbia by the Pet Shop Boys. Um, you really don't like this, do you? I love no, it. No, I don't. I think it's a dirge. 
even uh, by even by Pet Shop Boy standards, this is a drone, <laughs> a monotonous drone. It's a great tune. It's not a great tune. It's dreadful. It's better than what's in at number twenty nine, uh, yeah, which is in the in the army now by Status Quo. If, if that's your benchmark for greatness, it's like well, at least it's better than that. That's not good. No, 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 no. I'm not saying it's. it's I'm not saying it's great. I'm just saying it's better than in the army now. Because yeah, uh, well, everything is all... better than that. I mean, I like Status. <laughs> quote but that's crap by their standards no we're never in the army so no. something's a blatant lie it's a lie yeah they're singing a song going, we're in the army now no you're not you're not going in the army not unless they've suddenly decided to uh, put you at the forefront of the battle playing you no know, caroline as the <laughs> tanks stormed across the you know stormed across the opening of the battle that would be something though wouldn't it do 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 that'd be amazing there's a someone make that film happen <laughs> Get the get that sequence in Fury that's really harrowing and meaningful where the tanks are flying across. Just replace the music in that with Caroline by Status Quo. So, so, oh, somebody, somebody just do that soon, I'm doing it. So uh, it might have to happen. He will as well. He will. I'm, I'm I've seen it. him do that sort of thing before. I'm doing it. Number, 40, number 42, To Be A Lover by Billy Idol. Yeah. One of the Billy Idol tracks I absolutely had no knowledge of. No, I'd know it. I think this might be on 11 of the best. So I think I might know it, but it's not one of the, I know that title, Eleven of the Best, is uh, pushing it a bit. Just a bit. Um, it's because it's like five of the five that are good, and not none of them written by him. <laughs> which, which, well, he, no, he's never going to write, was he? But it's five that are good, which would probably not be as quite as catchy an album. Oh, it's your True. best of it. So only only five are good. Uh, yeah. I just think Billy Idol. Did he actually write any of his own songs? Because I have no Money, idea. Mo- Money Money isn't by him. White Wedding isn't by him. To Be a Lover isn't uh, by him. That's by William Bell and Booker T. Jones. So. Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I uh, all I know, he was because he, he was XDC, wasn't he? Yeah, he was exactly. Of XDC, Billy Bone Idol—that's what they called him originally because he <laughs> doesn't do anything. <laughs> Write us a song, Billy. Nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Bony Idol. Yeah. Sounds like Bony M. Yes. He he was in Bony M for a while. (laughs) Billy Idol, (laughs) lover of the Rasputin. Yeah, exactly. Russia's greatest love machine. (laughs) (laughs) He never wrote a song of his own. Billy Idol, he lives on his own. (laughs) (laughs) Billy Idol can't even write. <laughs> Billy Idol in the rain. Try la la la. Absolutely. <laughs> He's written nothing again. Try la 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 la. He looks like a rocker in the rain. <laughs> Every loser wins. My Nick Berry was in it number 66. This song is a mathematical anomaly, and it's something that has wound me up from the minute he opened his berry like beat to now. I watched The Matrix Reloaded last night, so I feel I could do a speech on this. Ergo, the concurrentness of this song is the anomaly that should be should be plugged back into The Matrix to bring everything back to normal. Well, just let me say, right, that everything about this song is wrong. So. The logic, the logic of the song is stupid, right? Because it should be every winner loses, right? Because and that's not even true, but it's better than every loser wins, right? Because it makes more sense. So, because if every person that wins may have a chance to lose, to 
and they do so. So every loser wins means that every loser, every loser and tosser and idiot stands a chance of winning. So even if you're a loser, you're kind of a winner. Not only is that not true, but it promotes a dangerous narrative enshrining competitive, <laughs> competitive sports to a notion that doing your best is pointless because in some at some point every loser wins, which means they're all losers. Everyone doing sports is a loser. Nick Berry should be placed in a corn silo and then slowly be filled from the top so we can test out the logic. Let's see if every loser wins. I can tell you now, every Nick Berry is going to lose. <laughs> I think you've overthought this song. No. His, his lyrics are, every loser wins once the dream begins. In time you'll see, fate holds the key. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, that make no sense. No, because every loser cannot win. <laughs> That's true. There can only be one winner. That's the that's what winner means. Exactly. Because in that in that in that notion, we won Euros. Exactly. This year. And, exactly. And just as an aside, well, not even an aside. If anyone's wondering who Nick Berry is, by the way, he was a character. You know, Nick Berry is an actual person, but he's, he had a character. I think it was something Wicks. <laughs> Yeah, Simon Wicks. Simon Wicks in EastEnders, which was this, obviously a soap opera we've talked about before, Dirty Den, Angie Watts, Angie Watts later married, Brian May from Queen. It's all tied together in some kind of weird multiverse, like the Avengers. And Nick Berry is... <laughs> escaped out of his standards to, to create a song that's mathematically anomalous in every way to challenge the very logic of time and space and reason and make every competitive person even if you're a limp you're an olympiad you're a loser because you win because every loser wins avengers age of wixie he was in there do you know that moment in the avengers movie when they're all running in from all the various openings of the time holes that dr strange opens nick berry's in there but he immediately falls over and cracks his head open because every loser wins and every winner loses as it should be and every Berry loses. That's what that song should be called. Every Berry loses. But uh, it wasn't as popular a choice. No, no, no it was Poor not. Poor old Nick. Stupid Nick Berry. Na- named after a sha- named after a shaving foot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to quote Top Secret. Stupid Nick Berry. Uh, albums. That was the last of the singles. Album Seventh September Graceland by Paul Simon. In at number four. Um, that's, yes, that's amazing. The eye for an album of that type. Well, the, the, not really. I mean. You've got things like Genesis and stuff at the top. You've also got things like Dire Straits. These albums are, are massive in the mid '80s. These big yeah, sort of big concept blockbuster team. albums, yeah. And, and these singles were everywhere. You know that you were getting. There's a lot of hype around these kind of stuff. And I, I presume, and I'm going to guess that you can call me Al was starting to climb the charts at this point. We had yeah. the single, uh, and that got a lot of airplay. And it's this just became his his calling card. It, you know, 16 million copies sold. It's a massive, massive album. He would never have any kind of success like it again. He no. won't release another album for like about five or six years. No, and he became um, he became also famous as well for his stand against apartheid in South Africa. He famously played concerts there, and 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 because mm-hmm. the album itself is quite multi musically diverse and ethnically diverse, and with a lot of instruments from all, and musicians from all over the world taking part in that, it's amazing, really. And so it's quite a cele- it's a celebration of multicultural music in every possible way that it could be. In the eighties, this was you know an, an antithesis to everything that anyone stood for. In politics, it felt like at the time. So you know, mm. and so we became quite the quite famous because uh, as much as it sounds crazy to even think about now, and we're not going to dive into all of the politics of it all, but just the idea of of keeping two kind of different cultures and people apart in the same country, like they did with apartheid in South Africa, seems crazy. But yet, they, you know, right, we're right in the heart of it in the middle of the eighties, and obviously later it gets resolved. And he played concerts to you know to all of his fans, regardless of where he was geographically and who they were ethnically, and that makes a very, makes him an important person. Mm and that album very important at the time and I think that is part of its celebration which is why it's so high in the chart 
Yeah. I mean, you have people like Peter Gabriel doing songs like Beko and things yeah. like that who are also doing it. It seemed very, if you look back on the 80s, a lot of, I don't want to say earnest or self-important, but a lot of pop stars suddenly became very earnestly interested yeah. in Ca- uh, cu- yeah. cultural issues, issues ar- 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 around the world. I mean, the, the big one was always Sting and the Amazon tribes when he paraded them on Wogan and everything. It always seemed very, very, very peculiar, peculiar thing. And obviously, Bot Bono, I think. And- I think Live Aid actually proved that they could make a difference. That the, mm. their position in the culture and their music they produced did actually have an impact to make a difference. And and I think that's what led to things like. I mean, that's my own personal view, but I think that's what led to things like Graceland and, and many other albums. As you say, there's many other artists. Some of them were on that bandwagon, no doubt about it. But it, uh, I, my feeling is that Paul Simon very much was that kind of you no know, um, apolitical figure that wanted people to enjoy his music and just not get involved in the politics but could couldn't uh, and avoid it really at certain points so mm. interesting Cri- mm, people don't believe you when you say these things happen because it happened in our lifetime and it seems like it's a lifetime ago but you know it's 30 years down the line seems like such a long time ago and i suppose it is when you think how if you just put into context you think how old now rambo is as a film or rocky four is as a film you know these films are you know, now considered 30 year old classics you know mm-hmm. but and these concepts and things you explain to your modern millennials, they just don't, can't believe a world existed where these things were still around. They seem to position these this kind of thinking, this kind of politics and this kind of racism that was re- replete around the world. They position this as a thing that happened in the 60s and 50s, something out of time and not in our lifetimes. There is a strange when you look back, you know, we've come a long way in some ways, maybe not in others, but you know, that's a, yeah. that's, that's enough on politics today podcast next week. <laughs> I was just going to say, well, at this point in time, the, the Berlin wall's still up. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, you know, so that, that doesn't come down to like 88, 89. And not only that, my next door um, neighbor's wall was up and that's a miracle because I kick that thing every day <laughs> to knock it down. My own unique protest. <laughs> But uh, again, apologies, uh, Mr. Benson. Um, yeah. his, his first name was Merlin. It was the Merlin Wall. <laughs> Do you know his name? No, it wasn't Merlin, really. <laughs> I really hope it was. No, his, his name was actually Bobby Benson. <laughs> That's true. The Benson, the Benson Wall. Bobby Benson and his wife, B. That's a true fact. It was B, B and Bobby Benson. I remember saying it's all the Bs. Triple B. No, I'm not putting it in. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, press pl- press to stop was Paul McCartney's number eight. <laughs> it's actually press to play, but you should press to stop. Oh yeah, uh, his sixth solo album. I don't know anything of this. Nope, I don't either. It's, um, I know it's got Linda McCartney and Paul McCartney on the cover of the album, kind of looking at each other meaningfully. Doesn't mean a lot for reasons I'm not hundred percent sure of. Nobody liked her or, or anything to do with her. But are they are they, are they eating a sausage? Uh, <laughs> that would be brilliant wouldn't it? if it was that that it's like a remake of the grain jill with paul mccartney looking like running away and like a linda mccartney sausage coming in um but it's an interesting little thing for you so this was um paul mccartney trying to get back with the in crowd because he felt that his previous efforts had maybe not gone down as well we won't talk about any of those but did you see who produced this album hugh padgham hugh padgham 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 who Padgham? Well, who Padgham? Who Pageham? But this is the guy. You Pageham? That... I'll see him. Pageham, <laughs> and I'll beef him. I, I'll ring him. <laughs> uh, anyway, it was Hugh Padgham. I ring him. Um, who gave the album this contemporary sound? That produces the guy that invented the gated reverb drum, which we spoke about. Yay, so it's him. The return. It's Mister. It's him. So it's him. And it sounds like this. No, don't. I'm not going to put it in again. <laughs> oh, don't do it. You page him. I'll you ring page him. him. Yeah, you page him and I'll ring him. 
Uh, but don't ring these. In at number 17 was The Way It Is by Bruce Hornsby and The Range. We spoke about it briefly, didn't we, with its refrain. Diddle-oo, diddle-oo, diddle-oo. Yeah. That's the only song I know um, off that entire album. Yeah, and it's the only one I, I care for, so that's it, really. I started yeah. mentioning them. 14th September, Break Every Rule. I don't Is know that... if that's how it goes. <laughs> by Tina, Tina Turner, came in at number two. It's a Break Tina Every Turner. Rule. you got to do every syllable. Remember? Break Every <laughs> Rule. Every Rule. <laughs> typical male is the main single here yep. it's a typical male. male that's how tina turner speaks she goes to mcdonald's oh. to order a burger i'll have a burger and cheese <laughs> and fries but no <laughs> milk or shake because there's none in the country <laughs> i left a burger in the city that's a totally different song uh, <laughs> out at mcdonald's <laughs> Out in the wilderness. Do you have burgers? Do you have burgers and fries? Do 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 do. I can't think of Tina Turner anymore without thinking of Limmy, and that's simply the best sketch. I can't. It's it's programmed. As soon as I do 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 do, I think of Limmy doing that sketch. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, what Limmy is, Limmy is a really abstract, brilliant comedian. Amazing. Does his own podcast. I believe as well, so go and check that out. Just Google it. But he's an amazing comedian, and he's an amazing sketch show that he did. And one of his sketches was a <laughs> I can't even, it's hard to explain what it is, but it's just a guy doing a Tina Turner lookalike competition. But it's actually all Limmy dressed up as, and he gets <laughs> the Tina Turner dance off. Anyway, so perfect. Don't give the punchline away. Nope, just go, go, check it out. Um, yeah, we'll but, link to it in the show notes. I think that's the easiest way I to think actually that's do the easiest these way. Link to show notes, yes. Yes, we will do. So, Break Every Rule was at number two. Crash by the Human League was in at number seven. Yeah. You know, I know, I know, Don't You Want Me by the Human League and their early weirdness. Um, what I did listen to, though, strangely enough, as an aside, um, I was trying to find a version of the Phil Oakey Electric Dreams track. Um, and I found a live... Should track that down? Well, well, no, it wasn't. But I, there was a, a version I heard on something or other, and it was a live version of it. Weird. Phil Oakey's not got a voice for live. Is he really <laughs> not, not? Not not singing uh, that. There's some... He, he can't hit the high notes. Well, he can't careful. hit those notes in... Uh, in uh, Electric Dreams, or the low <laughs> notes, or the middle notes, either. In fact, he's oh all over the really place. It was dreadful. It was just been dreadful. having an off day because I think Phil Oakey's actually a pretty good singer. <sighs> well, he must be, but the one I heard, I was like, "That's not notes you want to hear." <laughs> in no. regards to this song, "Human" is the single. Well, off maybe he was looking at his lookalike, Phil Beachy. It's very similar <laughs> to Phil Oakey in many ways, <laughs> just not as good a singer. No, Bill Elmy. <laughs> yeah, Phil Elmy, Phil Beachy, <laughs> Phil Piney. None of them are as good. He's, he's too clingy. He's too clingy, yeah, Piney. It is. And he's, you know, <laughs> he's in, always whining about something. He's pining for the fuel. He always needs staining. He's like, he's just like a guy that needs a stain. Um, Phil Oakey. Oh, no, that is Oakey. That's his name, Phil Oakey. <laughs> That's his name, yeah, Mr. Oakey, yeah. Oh, um, no. There was Phil, a lot. Ashy. There's a lot of problems with that particular album. The least of which is that Phil Oakey hated every one of his producers and, and the producers put a lot of pressure to sound a certain way. He didn't want that. So they actually just abandoned the recording midway through or towards the end of the recording of the album. They just left the studio and just went home from, I think they were, I forget where they'd flown them out to to record it, but they just went back to Sheffield. So it was actually finished off by the producers based on what they had. It was so it sounds overproduced and over crazy, and that's because it is because there's loads of guff in there that they just filled it with. Um, yeah. Ironically, one of the songs became kind of crash, but was quite a hit. You know, enough Human League fans at the time to be, give it a bit of licks. I don't think it's nearly as good as anything that they produced prior to that. Certainly not in the same league as Mirror Man or um, Don't You Want Me or anything like that. But you know what? 
at this 1986, are we, we're seeing the death of new romantic, really, aren't we? If not, if already dead. Yeah, so, pretty much. So. Blancor, Blancor is walking over it slowly in a pair of kickers. Yeah, well, you know, uh, Human League and Mel and Kim compatible in compatible in the same decade? I don't know, really, that they are. So Who knows? Who knows? Just coming up th- right behind uh, Human League is Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi at number eight. That's a good, um, a really good, solid hair metal album, that is. Absolutely. In answer to your question here, which Bon Jovi you like better, this one in New Jersey, this one for me? Yeah, it's it's so difficult for me because I, I really love both albums. But, you know, I think Slippery and Wet and I think, you know, the classic Bon Jovi karaoke classic, um, which I think you've sang many times, I believe. I have sang many times karaoke. Badly, no doubt. But you know what? I was drunk and I needed exactly. the money. But they didn't so, pay me anything. So so Living on a Prayer comes from Slippery and Wet and a number of other hits, I don't doubt. I can't remember the other ones, but that's the one that everyone remembers, really. But New Jersey's got Bad Medicine. It's got um, Lay Your Hands on Me. It's got Dead or Alive. I don't I don't know. This. It, I can't decide. I'm, I'm, I genuinely like both albums equally. And my favourite guitarist absolute favourite guitarist and I have several but my absolute favourite top of the tree favourite guitarist ever is Richie Sambora and so Slippery When Wet track listing You Give Love a Bad Name Living on a Prayer Wanted Dead or Alive Raise Your Hands yeah. Never Say Goodbye yeah oh that's what I mean it's sad because there's so many good tracks on that and then you got New Jersey with Bad Medicine and Lay Your Hands on Me is off Bad Medicine uh, uh, Bad Medicine Lay Your Hands on I'm Me saying, is off, off New Jersey say that said Raise Your Hands I said. yeah that's what I mean so, but there's such good tracks so yeah I mean they're both great albums don't get me wrong. I just prefer I just prefer slippery when wet. Yeah, no, and I think that's you know it's 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 a choice between you know, one juicy apple and another juicy apple. So it is. There's an alternative cover if you look on the wiki page for it, which is a uh, it's almost spinal tapish. Oh, um, in uh, you know such a fine line between genius and clever, <laughs> <laughs> genius and stupid. Um, <laughs> that it's basically it's just a close up of a wet t-shirt. Oh, uh, why does that not surprise me? I mean it's, it's the uh it was a rejected wet t-shirt cover and it was used for the Japanese release according to Wikipedia. Well, it would yeah. get released somewhere no doubt, you know. It is proper spinal tap territory when it comes to smell the really glove. Is it smell like love? You know, it's just, it's just, you know, it's just, it's sexy, isn't it? Sexist, Nigel. It's no, sexist, sexist, Nigel. Um, such a fine line. Um, have you seen Duke Fame's latest cover? Anyway, look, let's not go down a spinal tap <laughs> no. quotation route. No, but uh, we'll great, we'll both all, great albums. We'll be here all night. Slippery and Wet is a great album. Amazing yeah. videos at the time, which got massive airplay, and you can't really go wrong with it, can you? Yeah. We go down that route, they'll still be booing us when <laughs> still be when bon Jovi, we come on. on. <laughs> yeah. Uh and number eleven was four. Four by four. Huey Lewis and the News. Mm. Hip to be square on this one, yeah. So this is off the back of um Back to the Future, isn't it, really? Yeah, fourth um, album. Not a big fan this, of them. Yeah. So um, you know, sport and stuff, they're okay, aren't they? They're just they're kind of American radio yeah. rock yeah. friendly yeah. rock, aren't they? Just AOR. That's what they are. No, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Uh twenty first September True Stories by Talking Heads in at number seven. Not a film I've seen and not a f- soundtrack slash album I have a lot of memory of. No, neither me. So. Nor me. Uh twenty eighth September was Talking with the Tax Man About Poetry, an album named after the Vladimir Mayakovsky poem, according to this. Yes. Uh, I've seen Billy... I'm not even sure I've heard a full song by him ever. Uh, I've seen him live. Um, I saw him at the Great British Music Weekend in 1991. Wow. 
uh, where he was. I think he actually he wasn't on the bill. I think, but he played anyway. Like they couldn't keep him out. Um, <laughs> he just went up stage and was like, "I'm playing." Yeah, and I'll fight anyone that tries to get me off this stage. And like, oh, okay, it was the there was, there was, If I remember right, there was the Cure, Jesus Jones, Carter, Unstoppable, Sex Machine. Um, there was about six bands on New Model Army. I think played. Um, that was a good gig. That was. But yeah, he played as well. And I'm sure, pretty sure he wasn't on the, was on the list. Was it politically motivated single guitar playing stuff by any chance? It was. It was the time I went to the bar. Yeah. I, I don't I say. dig Billy Bragg stuff. But you no, know what? That doesn't mean not. to say it's not amazingly good. I'm sure for those that love it, it is. It's not It's not my cup of tea. That's all. No. Britain's Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Vigilante by Magnum was at number 24. Bloody Magnum. <laughs> <laughs> all I can think of is just hair and leather, yeah, or uh, Magnum PI, which would be better. It'd be hair great and if this was one if of this, their albums. I think <laughs> if this if this was an album by uh, Tom Selleck, that'd be way better. But or, uh, or it's recorded by people eating Magnum ice lollies. Now that would be something, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be. It would be because <laughs> they are delicious. Um, they really are. Not that I'm sponsoring yeah. them in any way. No, we don't sponsor them. No, we don't. No, they don't sponsor us. They don't sponsor. We don't sponsor Magnum. They don't sponsor us. No, no. <laughs> my, my picture on the wrapper. Graham likes them. Like, who? <laughs> Don't know who that is. Why is Sa- he on that? Sales are through the roof this are they, week. Are they, trying to put, more. are they trying to put people up by them like they do with cigarette packets by just putting random pictures of northerners on them? That'll do it. Not buying them bloody things. If you end up like that. <laughs> mm, magnum. Mm, Graham magnum. approved. <laughs> Oh dear. Anyway, the album cover features a unicorn. Of course, of course. it does. <laughs> of, course of course it does. does. Of course yes. it does. That's it. That's the music. It's too much of it. Let's finish and we'll move on to our because we've still got loads of games. We there's have still loads. Loads of them. Uh, it's like there's a, well, the game. The number of games we have coming up was an entire episode the other week. It was. However, that said, just remember that some of these games are not going to take long. <laughs> yeah, we said that about bloody uh, Jet Jet Gladiator. Uh, it didn't take long. It was two and a half minutes, and that's probably too much. Yeah. All right, let's do it. Right, that's music over with. We'll be back after uh, this short break. So stay around for the next load of games. Great big shout out to our sponsor, DavidHernWriter.com, where you'll find bargain books, ebooks, and audiobooks. Coming soon, Dave's next book, Escape from the Commodore 64, will transport you back to the 80s as Sarah, who must beat gold medal and scissor classics to get out of the bread bin alive. Check that perm, adjust that turtleneck, and prepare those shoulder pads as you go on an 8-bit adventure unlike any other. You'll love it, you will. Dave's podcast pick is a rack. He reckons casting those nets and making friends with all those creatures was a hoot. I just didn't have the legs for it, Dave. Hello, welcome back. We've got more games to get at here, so let's get into them quickly. Okay, Graham, our first one, Floyd the Droid. What's Floyd the Droid all about? The sewers in the major city of the world are in crisis, and they need cleaning and removing creatures that roam through them. And it's now considered too much for anyone to do, so they get a droid to do it, and that droid would be you. So you are Floyd, and you've been basically assigned to sort out the mess in the sewers in London, and then you move on to other cities. So you start with a choice of situations where you can program and set the procedures for him to follow, and then you can set to kind of an auto thing, and then they can deal with the controls. And you can also control them in manual. So the idea is that you control it via an isometric kind of view with small parts of the sewers. It was a bit like looking through it, like a robot going through different tunnels at different angles and aspects. And then at certain points, it would go to a kind of a side view, 
shooty yep. bit um, and then it would go back to this kind of isometric view that you controlled with the joystick so there were dirt blockages and creatures in there I think rats bats stuff um, you had a little radar which changed the colour when you was kind of near something and the idea of the game is then to go around and clear these things out on the levels you've got kind of energy which can be drained by the various encounters that you have with the baddies that's kind of the nexus and crux of this game um, graphically quite nice and some decent ideas in here. It felt like a game that was underdeveloped in that it's had it had all the I think the graphics were done first. <laughs> the yes, say. yes, yeah. <laughs> and then the kind of the, the game logic came was kind of applied afterwards. There wasn't a lot of sound in it, so there's not a lot to write home about there. And there didn't seem to be a lot of things to do, so it didn't feel like a game that had a lot of fun in it because it, I wasn't wholly sure that was a in control of, of Floyd. And be what it was really about. So it, was, it felt bitty and a bit, and it was jumping between op- options and icons and different views. None of which felt like it, well, there was any kind of coherent plan to anything. It just kind of felt a bit like a bit haphazard. So it went from isometric tunnel to side shooter to kind of a menu with icons and some kind of movement management. No idea in what how that related to what the game was about or uh-huh. and how it felt. It didn't feel coherent, and it just felt like it was. It felt like it wasn't fully developed into the game it probably was meant to be. And because of that, it kind of tuned me out. So nice looking, pricey for what it is. Um, and I think there were some good ideas in there. Definitely developers with some skill. The sort of isom- the isometric view was quite nice, the way you sort of t- saw the tunnels and you went inside bits and it kind of exposed parts of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't know. I just felt like I'd- I never really felt like I was really doing much of anything that made sense. Just when I thought I'd grasped the idea of what the game was about, I ended up sort of in a side scrolly shooting thing with these various items and robots in the tunnel and then i was back to in the tunnel again thinking what what am i doing so i kind of got bored of bored of it in the end so graphically nice though what about you well i could just repeat your thing because you said exactly exactly pretty much what i've said here well i've noted down it's, it's exactly the same really it's a strange isometric 3d sewer cleaner with a programmable droid who has to take down rodents in 2d it's not something I'd ever come across for. It's a game I'd never heard of. I'd never played it before, never seen it before, so it was all new, but it was all a bit dull. And I've noted, yeah, like you said, the isometric visuals are nice enough, and you can shout boo, which is very odd, um, <laughs> yeah, which is that. weird. Yeah, can, yeah. But, but I didn't understand why, and I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be doing, and then it crashed on me, so I was like, oh, well. Mm, it was um, buggy. And, I, and I've noted here, but I'm not sure if there's much of a game here, and it feels like another tech piece looking for content. Mm. Um, and we've seen this for things like Electroglide and things like that. That this, 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 you know, competent tech people flexing their Absolutely. tech muscles, but not really doing much in the way of game design. There's not much game here. There's not much to actually do. And so it, it feels like, oh yeah, but these graphics are cool, aren't they? It's like, great, make a demo, mm. and then until you can actually put something, till you, you know, great graphics are fine, but you need to be able to do something with them. Mm. Um, and there's not a lot going on here. And I ju- yeah, I just found it a bit, a bit just randomly dull. Cluttered. It was a clutter, of, a clutter of ideas that amounted yeah. to nothing that worked. Yeah. If if they'd have just for me, if they'd have just concentrated on the isometric view mm. and had think monster monsters in that view or stuff that you had to sort of zap around or move about or push out or some block puzzles or just some game mechanics yeah rather than switching to that weird 2d view yeah i don't yeah. you know they can clearly draw in 3d in their isometric 3d way draw me a bat in 3d draw me a rodent you know have stuff that you know unblock things or especially these days you could be you know taking out fat burgers and things like that and 
all kinds of crazy stuff in sewers. Yeah. There's still more manner of stuff. Give me a giant alligator. Yes. You know. Yes. Some Something. I think you're right. Possibly a giant squid. <laughs> a giant squid, yeah. <laughs> Anything. But just, I think that there was, like you said, a, a cacophony of ideas where they wanted to do a lot of different things. And it may have felt, because we've said this with a few games, you know, it's like, oh, we need to have icons. Mm. Like, no, you don't. You don't need to have icons. No. If your game doesn't no. need icons, don't put bloody icons in. In this, they the shoehorned off onto an entire other yeah. incomprehensible screen. Well, you summarised it really nicely, and I'm not sure if it's the last episode or the episode before that, but you said, it, you know, just just getting all the various component parts of a recipe and all of the, you know, getting nice things and putting them into one thing doesn't make it super nice. It just means it, you know, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And you've got to tie these things together with a coherent something. Otherwise, you just end up with a game where you're wandering around tunnels for no reason whatsoever. And they could have added a super pipeline logic to it, couldn't they? So you were fixing things and tunnels were leaking. and But yeah. there wasn't any of that as far as I could see. I was just, you know, nice graphics, shame about everything else, really. Yeah, yeah. 62% probably about right, yeah, maybe. Yeah, when they get it right, they get it right. But yeah, I, I don't. And yeah, but I think 10, 10 quid is way too expensive for this. Stupid. Yeah, way too expensive. Stupid. Anyway, yeah, that's Floyd, <laughs> Floyd, Floyd the Droid lacking in, yeah, just like... An empty sewer of a game. If this if uh, this was a game, it'd be Ken Barlow. <laughs> Not a Baldwin. Would it be a Curly Watts? <laughs> Curly Watts, yeah. <laughs> be a it'd be a what's her face? Vera. It'd be a Benny. Here, here, Jack. Get me get me ten ten fags down the shop. Get us ten fags, will you? Her voice progressively got lower and deeper, didn't it, to us? Deirdre is. I mean, sadly, she obviously had illness that made that happen, which we shouldn't mock at all. But in, uh, no, we're not. But, but she was on TV, and I'm talking about her character, not her real person. And the character yeah. did eventually talk to all like that. Yeah. Remember, do you remember, do you remember, remember this how... in the Coronation Street? Yeah, Percy, oh. love, Percy. <laughs> me Percy's, me Percy's tint twingling. And do you remember how out of place? Who, who was the um, owner of the Rovers, the really posh old woman? Oh, that was, I'm going to say, I was going to say Annie Nightingale, though, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't Annie Nightingale. No, it wasn't Annie Nightingale. She's a, she's a DJ. Radio 1 DJ. Did she own it? Yeah. It was Annie Sugden, was it? Or Annie somebody? Or? Oh, Miss Sugden. Yeah, Annie Sugden. Is it Annie yeah. Sugden? Somebody, was, Annie somebody, oh. I'm sure it was. Yeah, Jack, could you just do that for us? Hey, Jack. She was very posh. Yeah, because she was Jack Duckland. Yeah. What I want you to do is go, go and change those barrels. They've been unchanged for at least the last two minutes and... That's far too long for barrel changeage. <laughs> she wasn't the, Irish. The, 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 the barrel changeage. That's uh, changeage. Go and change, the, go and change those <laughs> barrels, will you? <laughs> oh, barrels often suffer from massive chain, that's massive when, lack of changes. That's when Jim, what's his name, would come in. Liz, <laughs> Liz, Liz, Liz. In his, in his, in his, in his combat gear. He's passed away now as well. So this is oh, doom and gloom. So that's, it's my job to say he's dead. There's a lot of Coronation Street stars that have, and he's not tragedy, dead. Really. Well, yeah, absolutely. He's been going for going from 1960s. They're bound to be. Yeah, non-stop. They never stop recording that show. Once you're in it, that that's it. Is, it's like the Truman that show. Show is cursed. It's the cursed show. It's the Truman Show for Ken Baldwin. That's what it is. It's it's Ken Baldwin's Truman Show. We've watched him since he was born. There's no one called Ken Baldwin. There is now. There's a a horrible, uh, horrible mashup of Mike and Ken and Mike Barlow. (laughs) Mr. Barlow, put down your cross, face the master. Could you imagine the Coronation Street Salem's lot? Uh, not only do I imagine it, I want to see it right now. <laughs> I do. Who's bought that shop on the corner? I don't know. <laughs> that's, Hello. So, that's so proper version of Salem's Lot. would be hilarious. You can do nothing against the master. Stop, holy man. You cut the boy's throat. 
Back, back, holy man, back, shaman, back, priest. What would you give for this miserable boy? The master wants you. Throw away your cross, face the master, your faith against his faith. Could you do that? Is your faith enough? Open the window. Open the window, Mark. Let me in, Mark. Hey, how you got up here? Ow. You're not coming in. It's too bloody late. Bugger off. That is a proper sideline. That has made me want to see that. Coronation lot. There's something about that house, love. <laughs> the Barlow house. Here, he's talking about our house, Deirdre. <laughs> he's, he's talking about our house. Do you think an house could be full of murder? <laughs> Here, Ken, come back in. You must procure. Jesus. Get, never mind this procure business, speak English. Get some bloody padlocks on that bloody box. It's cold. <laughs> bloody things moving around in the truck. <laughs> I borrowed this van. I borrowed this van. i got to get back in the morning. I borrowed it. I borrowed this van off, off Ben. Got to get it back to him. He wants it back tomorrow. If there's any damage, he'll do my head in. <laughs> anyway, back to uh, where we were, which was... Uh, Floyd the Droid. Floyd the Droid. Not very good. Crap. Bit, bit empty. Yeah. Anyway, there you go. Our next game... Oh, I can't concentrate now. Um, is, is, Put your um, cross down. Face the bloody master. <laughs> For God's sake. Your faith against his bloody faith. Is yours enough, is it? I've got to kill you. <laughs> Run, boy, run. Anyway, enough. Next. All right. Next up. It's got a sizzler. I'm glad you got this one, actually. I'm glad you got it because I didn't want it and I'm glad you got it. Oh, well. All right. So our next game is Iraq. A-R-A-C. Iraq. So what is Iraq? Well, it's from Addictive Games. So the people who brought you uh, Football Manager, I believe, and that terrible advert for uh, Boffin. With his face on it. <laughs> um, with his face on it, yeah. And his face appears all the way, and it doesn't appear all the way through this game. Okay, so what is Iraq? Now, bear with me, because obviously I don't know what your opinion is. But this is, it's a flick screen explorer up and it has some interesting mechanics that are based around capturing animals with a net and using their abilities to enhance your own. Mm-hmm. So you play this droid, the Iraq. When the game starts, now there's two different things here. You get a different choice at start. You, you can play the long game or the short game. So in the long game, you start off, you're missing the legs and the body part of what is essentially the rest of the droid. So you're kind of just the middle section with a the stem. Dome, dome, yeah, the stem with a kind of dome-like helmet thing where you can fire this net out of. <laughs> this is only rude, I have to say. I'm sorry. I, I know, I know. Well, it does look rude. It's basically, it's, it's, a, a, it's a stem, stem with that a... stem fires out a net. <laughs> to catch helmets. It's very webby. <laughs> so it's missing its legs and body. That, that When you have them, they allow you to become a, a sort of spider droid type thing. So this first part of the game sees legless Iraq. Um, which is what I've called him, trying to collect the body parts to enable it to become spider rack. You do this from moving screen to screen and firing a new net out of your head to capture the various creatures who can then be used to progress. I didn't manage to capture them all. I only managed to capture some flies and the bear thing. The flies allowed me to do a much bigger jump when attached, and the bears just stand there and bounce. I didn't quite understand what they were doing. Uh, there were also jellyfish and stingrays and rock chomper things, but I could never manage to catch any of them. 
If you manage to collect all parts of the spider, you can then progress into the citadel where fast-moving, what look like snails from above, attack you. It's it's very odd, this game. If you play the short game, you start as a rack. You start as the full spider rack, and therefore you can get straight into the into the citadel. You shoot stuff out still, the, your bullets bounce around. This game reminded me massively of a game we're going to be probably looking at in a few episodes' time, and that is Sacred Armor of Antiriad. There's a mm. very... So probably uh, Sacred Armor of Antiriad is probably a much more well-known game than Iraq, I'm going to guess. But this is very similar. In the way it, it kind of yeah. looks quite similar, it's sort of high-res sprites, mm -hmm. lots of colour, lots of single-colour sprites as well, but lots of high-res stuff. But done in that way that is actually quite well mm. put together. So it's very hard to actually say whether this is good or not. It, it is... It's interesting, and it's also as well. It's a game that doesn't outstay its welcome. There are a hundred hundred screens or so, which is yeah, a nice number. You know, it's a hundred, so it's it feels completable. It feels doable. We've got so many games. What's that one, Lands of Havoc, with its two thousand screens or sixteen hundred, or that Sean Southern one, Hero of the Golden Talisman, with five hundred? It's just too much. It's too big. No too one cares. Too many screens. Starquake, too big. This is a hundred. Uh, that feels doable. I could probably progress through that, and you know, as I got better at it and started to work my way through it, it's also quite interesting as well. In that the the when you do the long game, the legs and the body parts are randomised throughout the level, so you're never in the same place. One game I started, they were right next to me. Well, one of the bits was one, then they weren't there the next game, so they're randomly put around the thing. So you have to go um, exploring. It's a very unusual and it's a really good looking game. But my main complaint with it is, is it's it's just a little too obtuse for its own good. Mm. Um. And if it had a little bit more explanation of its mechanics, just communicated a little better to you what you're supposed to be doing, why you're doing stuff. I mean, Sacred Arrow Interior is fairly easy to understand. You're building that, you're getting all the bits for the the armor. Kind of makes sense. And then you got to get into the middle of it. That well, yeah, he's, he's naked just, at that beginning because otherwise you're going to yeah, run around with that kind of sound that we spoke about before. <laughs> we did speak of that. This you don't get any kind of that. You just are a dog. <laughs> so spurting out it, webs. Spurting out webs everywhere, capturing animals within them before you take them inside Ew. and then use, use them for your own nefarious means. Ew. So if it had that, if it had a little bit more onboarding, a little bit more explaining to you what the hell you're supposed to be doing and how the mechanics work and how they think. And I get it, you know, try them and trial and error and, and trying to understand stuff, but... I couldn't understand why I couldn't pick up jellyfish for one thing. I kept netting them, but they just kind of flashed. Why I couldn't pick up the manta rays? There's no, there's no mm. obvious way to be picking these things up. And no. I think in that respect, it's not very friendly. And with a little bit more help in game, just to sort of say, right, do this to get that, or do you know, this could have been really enjoyable, and I would have liked it a lot more. As it is, I think if you if you like these sorts of things, this is a very accessible one as a as a game to play in this kind of genre that looks good and is doing some unusual stuff with its mechanic. I just found it a little bit impenetrable. What about you? Yes, I agree, actually, pretty much exactly with you. I thought it was very nice looking and very palace style, if that's even a style of thing. But that kind of look, that kind of almost nodes of yet, not nodes of yes, sorry. Um, yeah, no, yeah. Odin, I think nodes Odin yeah. slash Antiriad style graphics, very similar. Nice animation, but I think it, it all hit a game that was often frustrating and actually didn't really seem to want to play fair. So it's okay starting the game, and it's got two levels of starting, as you say. I found getting the component parts for Iraq to be really tough because the controls for Iraq without his legs and everything else are actually really hard. Capturing the creatures and utilising them is also difficult in any way that's immediately playable. So there's a nice game in here. 
it just felt like it was trapped in trapped a little bit in like you say a lack of lack of direction and by that i mean a lack of directive so you know tell me give me a bit few more hints tell me a bit more how i'm going to get along with these things jumping about the levels is really frustrating and difficult and it's not easy to get around in that initial environment even as a sort of even as the robot sort of the stem and shooting webs didn't always seem successful but with no real reason why and it just felt like you couldn't it didn't gel as a as the full thing it felt like loads of good ideas that were nearly there with really lovely graphics no real sound in there to speak of either so mm. i think i think there's a good game in there and and it's quite challenging probably a bit hard in some way a bit possibly you know and, and let's be careful because we're now talking about a really hard shaft that spurts out webs <laughs> in this game um, so i'm not sure how that rack but when you play as a rack and you've got these sort of spider legs and you can jump up and down the levels and crawl on the ceilings it's actually pretty clever the mechanics of the game and i'd like yeah, to have good, I'd, i would think i would have liked to have got to that part quicker and then just exploited being a rack and played as a rack a bit more and got more out of that than having to sort of circumvent that through difficulty by joining the sort of the 20 minute quick short game just so I could try that out. And it was clearly something they realized because it had a 20 minute short game in it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But 100 screens is quite a nice benchmark to set as a sort of this is what it's going to be. Again, some great ideas, very nice looking, but I think just, I think it lacked the final coherence that was required to make it really great. And I think if it had have had that, you'd have been talking about a real classic Commodore 64 game with a rack. I think yeah, it I just, think, so I think it just misses the mark. And again, I don't think, and I hate to say it really, because it is quite good. Price-wise, okay, it's pretty good for what it is. Score-wise in Zap, 93, I'm sorry, but I, I don't think I don't think it deserved to be that high. I would have put it in the 80s, for sure, but I don't think it's worthy of a Sizzler at 93%. I think it's just not, it's not quite playable enough for that. Maybe, maybe I needed to give it more time. I did try it quite a lot, and I just found it really hard to get around. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because you can't jump. You, you, all you can do is bounce. Yeah, you can't really jump onto things, and you're sort of going through levels on different platforms, and it's not. It's just hard to get around initially to try and find the legs that you require to be a rack. Yeah. So I yeah. found that quite difficult. If, if it was standard platforming where you could actually move and jump, but, but yeah. I can see why they've gone gone for what they've done. But I don't know. It just doesn't. Yeah, I think the levels are not conducive to that control no. method. No, because in Interiad in there was progression. You start off as Tal, and you're running around the lower levels, and then you find the the sacred armor, and then you find the various power ups to it, and then you have to then tackle the citadel. This didn't feel like that progression was immediately obvious. Nor easy to do, nor something that was going to happen in the next million years if you started off on a really long long game. (laughs) It felt like it was impossible to... And looking at where the location of some of the spider legs were, the Iraq legs, I'm thinking, I don't know how I'm going to get to that. I don't have a clue. It's not clear what capturing these things actually does and in what way they help me and how I use them. It was supposed to be weird. So. It was. But yeah, it could. I think there's a there's a good game in there. Just, just needed a little bit more help for the player looking at it now. Anyway, there you go. That's a rack. Right, next. <laughs> I like Danger Mouse. Mm. I'm not sure I like Danger Mouse in Double Trouble, though. What about mm. you, Graham? Tell us about Danger Mouse in Double Trouble. Danger Mouse was a hugely successful animated cartoon show featuring a James Bond pastiche mouse, a sidekick called Penfold, fighting the evil enemies of Baron Greenback and Stiletto, his sort of sidekick and various other characters. And that was the kind of the mainstay. Brian Greenback would have an evil plot, but Danger Mouse would unveil, 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 just unveil it with meat. 
He would unveil <laughs> and, and undo the plot and um, so forth. So this game, you would think, has plenty of material to go at. Really easy, one colour, almost two colour character, maybe even three at a push. Mm-hmm. Easy to think of the characters in a situation because there's plenty of material from the animated show to think of a plot. Even for a game, you could just base it on one of the episodes, let alone any of the series. He lives in a pillow box. He's got a sort of a flying car. Obviously, everything's kind of to mouse scale as well. So there's all that to think about. This game could have written itself in its logic. It could have easily done that. What you end up mm-hmm. with, however, is a game that's based around the idea that Baron Greenback has created a clone of Danger Mouse and you've got to spring into action and, and there's three stages to the game and you've got to complete those stages in order to sort of defeat the defeat the evil Baron Greenback. So you've got flying through the jungle in your aero car is one of the levels, shooting at bits, shoot them up really. Then you've got a sort of jungle-esque avoiding the contact with sort of the wild animals and jumping on the back of crocodiles, a bit like Pitfall actually, sort of pitfall yes. really. And not, so. and not even as good as Pitfall, which is sad, since Pitfall came out in, what, 1981 or 1980 or something? And then the final game is you've got a sort of, it's set in like an enemy base and you've got to destroy the sort of power stuff for Baron Greenback's evil doppelganger, which involves copying a sequence of colour light, essentially, a bit like a sort of a follow the leader kind of thing. So my take on this is the graphics in it are really inept, considering it's 2 99 I know, but the trouble with this game is, I like Danger Mouse, and I don't get how you can make a bad game out of it. I don't get it. Everything is there for you. Easy, already animated characters. It's not like you even have to think about what Danger Mouse would look like and how to animate him. All of that already exists. All of it. All of the thematic, all of the colours, all of colour schemes, all of the characters, all of the voices and the tonality and the way they speak to each other, all of the plot lines, all of the stories of the cartoon, all of it is written. If you can't make a game and all of that stuff exists, then I don't get why you would even try. And so this game feels like somebody had a go. So you end up with really crappy side-scrolling stuff, pitfall-based rubbish. It felt cheap and nasty and like it was badly thought about with poor graphics all the way through. I just don't get how it's hard to make a decent Danger Mouse game or even at least, I mean, even that even that crappy Flintstones game, they managed to make a decent Fred Flintstone even though the rest of the game was utter crap. So... <laughs> It's just shoddy. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And it's such a sad, sad waste of potential. To the point when I think, you know, I don't think there was even a Danger Mouse game ever again after that. Which is the real tragedy. Because I can't help but think that's a really great game waiting to be made. It just never happened for the Commodore 64. And at 30% for 2 99 it's just awful. And, and it played badly. And I really hated it. So that was my take. What about you? Yeah, same. This was awful. It was a 1984 release as well, wasn't it? So it's a budget uh, so re-release bu- of a cu- cu- couple of years old. Yeah, it's old budget. So everything you've said about it is spot on. Simple mechanics and boring visuals make for a boring, crap Danger Mouse game. You shoot music at animals incomprehensibly. I don't even understand what that is. You climb trees and jump on the backs of alligators, yep. you know, in some kind of, like you, as you said, pitfall kind of way, but... The climbing the trees bit was stupid. You have to get to the top, don't you, to start a stampede? Yeah. It's just stupid. Yeah. Makes no sense. You have to do that three times. And then you get to that code breaker thing, which was just tedious, boring. Oh, it was pointless. It was rubbish. It was just really rubbish. And even at three quid, this is dreadful. A three quid, you know, a three quid turd from two years before is still a three quid turd. Yeah. And this was this was a, a shiny turd in a danger mouse suit. And nobody wants that. No, this um, is the equivalent of someone shitting in your hands and then making you clap. So... <laughs> Nobody wants that. Like no. nobody wanted this game. No, it'd be, it'd be like you know smushing Penfield, Penfold's head between your between your hands. No I mean, I that. mean, I, I like 
Danger Mouse. I like Everyone it. likes Danger Mouse. Yeah, it's, 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 a, you it know, was one of the most popular British cartoons and yeah. of, of its time. I mean, I can't. This is what baffles me. It's like with V and with Spot. This with a couple of others. These are huge licenses. It's not like this is some you no know, guy that's just created Danger Mouse and thought, I oh, know that'd be quite cool. You know, this is the British equivalent in the eighties as popular as Mickey Mouse, a huge character, massive branding and back catalogue and st- well, I don't yeah. get it. I just don't. It's such a sad waste of a license. It is. And the um, oh, double trouble, I suppose, because someone making a clone of him it's a rubbish title as well yeah it's just a shame because she like you said it should be i don't know it should be relatively come up with something around danger mouse but and like you said he's animated so the sprite should be relatively easy to do i don't know yeah poor poor it poor is. showing i get the feeling this was given to the guy that made um not on crockery and uh, <laughs> no, the game about not crisps. willow pattern guy no i mean i don't <laughs> think it is but you know it's someone that's clearly <laughs> affiliated like, can you make us a game about a mouse oh, i suppose i can is it a famous mouse no well it is but you don't, don't you worry about that <laughs> yeah rubbish does he Let's need to be on. in danger no not really let's move on because we've got lots to look at still that's enough about danger mouse in double trouble right what's next Well, next is uh, another budget game. These are both budget games, but weren't in the budget section, so make of this what make you Make of will. that the mystery um, continues. So the next is a vertical scrolling shoot map, and it is Warhawk. Woo. So Warhawk, as I said, it's a solid, fairly solid vertical scrolling shoot map inspired by the arcade game Star Force and ably assisted by a thumping good Rob Hubbard score. And it's a good Rob Hubbard tune in this game. So... It's a sci-fi style vertical scrolling shoot map where you traverse various sort of bases, sort of sci-fi style bases. You get attacked from the top by various patterns of stuff to shoot. You get to the end of each level, loads more stuff comes on, you shoot it all. If you've managed to keep all your he- some of your health, you survive, you progress to the next level, which is fairly similar, just slightly different colouring with more waves get to the end shoot them so forth and so on it's what it is it's a shoot up it's a relatively simple shoot up it's only two quid so uh, you know for two quid this is actually pretty good it's not perfect the visuals are okay we've gone for a bass relief but they're a bit chunky bass relief not the best I've seen. The sprites are okay. It moves fairly fast um, and it's smoothly and it you know, moves along quite a good old fair click. The issues I had when playing it primarily focus around one main thing and that is the collision detection. Because I found the collision detection to be a problem and that I was pretty sure I was shooting stuff and it wasn't dying, which is never what you want in a, you know, in a shoot 'em up. You need to know if your bullet hits, they're dead. They will blow up and they're dead. If you can't trust that, then it drives a wedge between you and the reliability of the mechanics in the game itself. And that's a, that was my main issue with this. It, it, they're a bit off, not always as spot on as they could be. The chunkiness of the visuals as well mean there's not that much screen real space state. Things could be a bit smaller. It's not as chunky as one we're going to look at next week. But there's still a bit too, bit, bit too much on the chunky side. I would like things to be a bit smaller. I was also not a huge fan of the wobbly bullets that hang around on the screen for ages. Like, they take ages when you get shot at. They kind of home in on you, and then you go past, they kind of just wobble about near the mm. bottom for a bit, meaning you can't go near them. And the the, the, the stages get a bit samey. The, there's not much variety to them, and the patterns are a bit, eh, they're okay, but they're, they, there's not that many of them. It's not a terrible game, it, it, by any means. I mean, you've got 80% in that. They, they liked it, and I think for two quid, 80% is about right for this. I think if you've got this for two quid, you'd be quite happy with it. I do remember playing it quite a lot back in the day, because for two quid, it's worth it. And you find, actually, yeah, this is 
this is a good game for a couple of quid. The the problem I had was its lack of response and its uh, collision detection and the sameness of the stages just got to me in the end and it, it made me just stop playing because it was like, you know, I'm not really that invested to get much further onto another stage. It's probably going to look the same and have the same kind of mechanics. I know shoot 'em ups are shoot 'em ups, but the mechanics are, are sort of brought in by the different waves or the different enemies that attack and how they're put together. This never seemed to sort of get a kind of co cohesion and get that, that combination of mechanics together correctly. It's all right, though. I don't know. Did you like it? I know it's made by someone you know, isn't it? So. Well, it is, yes. Um, it's make, made by my uh, friend Michael Ware, the, the Great Flash, ex, um, S-Express member, which was a demo group that I was a founder member of, and he was in there, and even you were in there, AD, at one point. Oh, so, I was. So is it a good game? Yeah, I, I, I actually bought Warhawk back then for the one ninety nine. it was, so I... I, I did too. Yeah. yeah, I did. And I was, at the time, looking for a decent shoot-up. It is a decent shoot-up. Its graphics are a bit chunky, a bit... That base relief doesn't quite work so well here, but it's okay. It's a hard game. There's no upgrade tree, is there, in it? So you're just kind no. of shooting forever. And also, I think it's, there's no lives, is it? you just got energy, and it, once that's done, you're dead. Yes. It, repl it, re it restores at the beginning of every level, though, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, it does. And it, but in that sense, it's kind of, you know, it's that makes it tricky, to say the least. <laughs> so it's a tricky game. Uh, it might have been better with lives. It might have been better with all those things. The enemy patterns, I felt a bit... They were, like you said, it's repetitive and it gets, it's a punishing repetitive game. Eventually, I think like you, I just, I got tired of sort of doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And, you know, that might, that might be true of all shoot ups but I think it lacks the bosses. It lacks the final sort of stage bosses and things and it has waves, doesn't it, towards the end of each level, but. It lacks the yeah. big boss, you know, the, the R-type style big boss. I know that's a side scroll, but you know what I mean. Oh, um, I know what you mean. You know, yeah. then that um, Ikaruga style like big boss that you get in and, and the shooting the different points and all that sort of stuff. So I don't know if it predates that. I don't know what the original arcade that it's based upon is like. Probably has those, I'd have thought. So as a 199 blast em up, it was enjoyable in that capacity. The sounds in the game are good. Obviously, it does have that really good Rob Hubbard soundtrack. It's not a, an original Rob Hubbard piece. It's actually based upon The Unknown Planet by John Keating. So if you really want to feel feel the need, you can go and listen to that on YouTube and listen to the kind of the original version of, uh, of the Warhawk music. And I think there's actually two versions of the Warhawk music. There's Warhawk and there's Proteus. And I'm sure somebody much more knowledgeable than me will be able to tell you all about the differences and everything else. Long and short of it is the music really good. Regardless, does it fit the game? That was Zap's problem with the music. Music. They yeah, weren't yeah, sure, yeah, and, and I and I kind of I kind of sort of see where they're coming from because if I think of a game that is, if we take I know it's a side-scrolling game, but if we take a game like Solfees on the Mega CD, which is one of my favourite side-scrolling shoot-ups of all time, that I actually really like that and Nemesis. But let's just take Solfees. The in-game music when you're shooting really suits. Even on Sol Dece mm -hmm. on the on the Mega Drive, it really suits that kind of pace of game. It suits it perfectly. Now, could you say the same about Warhawk? I don't know. It's kind of over melodic, I think, for a shoe up. Anyway, it, it is what it is, and it's it's good. I don't know if it suits this game perfectly, but it's still good. And eighty percent is pretty much bang on. So I know I keep saying that they keep getting the scoring really wrong, but I think they've got actually that pretty much right. But for one ninety nine, it's, it's a no brainer. You know, it was at the time, you know, yeah. I had no brains and I bought it. So for $1.99, <laughs> um, I was happy with my purchase. I was much happier about that than when I got Wing Commander, let me tell you. But that's something we'll talk about later. Oh, no, not Wing Commander. Yeah. Yeah. Warhawk, it, 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 it is perfect two quid fodder. I think that's what I would say about it, really. I think that's, that's um, it, it, you know, in, in and of itself, if it was full price or any more, you'd be like, ah, no chance. No, but for two quid, you shoot stuff. It does exactly what it says on the tin. Has a nice title screen. 
you know, at least it has a bit as well where you actually fly out the main main bit. Yeah, it does and, at yeah. the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So it, there's some there's some ele- nice elements of presentation there. Yeah, it's a two it's a two quid game, and I think it is what it is. It just has some issues, but you know, for two quid, I was I think I was quite happy with it back in the day, and I'm probably the same. It is, you know, it has been surpassed many times by other shooters. Let's not beat around the bush. Oh, yeah, so exactly. we can go back to this. I don't I don't know, no. but for for two it, when we bought this for two quid back then. I was happy with it. And yeah, it kept me occupied for a while. Yeah. In the same way that Panther did when I bought that. Oh, God, Panther, yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, well, there you go. Okay, so that's Warhawk. Yeah, we like it. It's all right. Well, it's all right. It's two quid. It's a two-quid game, <laughs> and yep. I think it is. That's what it is. Uh, so that was that. That's Warhawk. We are now into our, although they were budget games, we're now into our Cheapest Creepers section. Jeepers Creepers, where'd you get those peepers? Jeepers Creepers, where'd you get those eyes? Um, and the first one we have up, we've got three more before we end this huge mammoth episode. Whopper. We have is next week's just as big, um, Matron. <laughs> Galaxy Birds for £1.99. Graham, <laughs> Galaxy Birds. Go on. Do you know, I'd never come across Galaxy Birds before, yeah, ever. Neither um, And there was a few real surprises along the way. For yes, this. there so one, was. One, it was uh, sensible, sensible Software, which I, yeah. didn't know, I didn't even know this game existed. I, I, my first idea of sensible software was parallax yep so so when i saw that this was sensible software i thought oh okay so and this is a galaxians riff essentially so it's a shoot 'em up based around the galaxians idea and galaxians is like a space invaders where they kind of move around a lot more for one of their description so it's just not a very good version of galaxians as a shoot ups go it's bullets that you fire move far too slow so the enemies are moving way quicker which means that Actually, I think he's impossible. So, and it has quite—I <laughs> think it is. I think it has a, quite a nice look and feel, albeit impossible. And it sort of the sounds in it are kind of just become very, very, very annoying. So it's a dodge the birds, such as they are, and that's kind of it. You're supposed to be shooting back at them, but because your bullets have no pace, I don't think it's going to work. My only take on this was that they should have perhaps licensed this to Jeff Capes and have. <laughs> And have some kind of Jeff Capes <laughs> Galaxy Birds. Because, you know, he made real-life Galaxy Birds. Massive, massive um, budges. So there's an opportunity there for a license that never was. I just thought, you know, if this is sensible software and it's very early, if it's in its nappies, then I suppose it's okay, but it's not a great shooter. And considering this is like side-by-side with Warhawk at $1.99, uh, you're going to go for Warhawk rather than this. It just feels, it felt like it was... Uh, a game that was perhaps never meant to be released, really. I don't know. I don't know quite the lineage of it. I'd never heard of it. And I've spoken many, many times to John Hare from Sensible Software back then. I know him very well. He's a very lovely guy. And hes I don't think he's ever mentioned Galaxy Birds. So there may be a good reason for that. Maybe it predates him. I don't know. No, no, no. It doesn't. He's uh, hes down as the uh, gra- graphics and so, well, screen, John it, Hare. It, it, now, the gra- he is a good at graphics and the graphics are okay. And there's nothing wrong with them. This game felt like it was just a bit unplayable. Chris, Chris Yates for me. is coder. It's so, so it's definitely it is, sensible. It, yeah. It's just I'm not sure it's, it's sensible. I think, <laughs> yeah, it's just think they it's sensible software. I think before they really became sensible software. So, and it, it, if anything, it's quite an interesting software anomaly in that respect. But in every other respect, it's not a very good game. Sorry, John, but it's not. But what did you think? Well, I, d- I don't know if this game is actually meant to be taken seriously. They don't in the review, and I think I'm kind of on board with that because I yeah, think I think it's yeah, actually yeah I think it's a I think it's a you know I think it's a piss take of shoot 'em ups. So yes, it's like Galaxians. It's also a bit like Phoenix. 
which was the other one. But it's it's so randomly it could be a parody. Non- it's something so randomly nonsensical. It feels like, and I put here, this feels very much like my first game. It's like you know that I I don't know what John and Chris did for this or whether they came at it as I'm presuming they're quite young at this point. They were what they're only uh, 18, yeah, uh, 18 mid- 19 or something would they mid-teens? Yeah, got to be yeah, 18. So it's a case yeah. of, you know, let's make a game. We're learning how to program on the C64. We're learning how to do stuff. Let's do a really basic stupid shoot 'em up. And as you said, these sort of things were being picked up. It's a Firebird title, isn't it? Is it Firebird? Let me have a look at that cover. I don't know. Uh, it is a, it, I bet yes, it is. It is Firebird Silver Range. So my thought is, as we've said before, you go to Firebird and you say, hey, we've made this. And I, I don't know if that's what they did or whether they <laughs> sent it in. I have no idea. Maybe, you know, if they could yeah. get in contact with you, if they listen. It's Firebird. They would have just shown them a picture <laughs> picture of an egg. Well, to be fair, this you know, this is Galaxy Birds by Firebird. There's, uh, there's a causal tie Why not it. call it Firebirds? So, Firebird. Well, I don't know. It's, it is... Because so, obviously, as you said, it's playing on Galaxians, isn't it? So it's Galaxy Birds, which I, I get the impression that this was just a, a game made for no other reason than just to sort of get a game under their, to, to sort of get a game out under their wing, to, so to speak, and show that they could make something and release something, which would probably have led, because probably without this, maybe selling Parallax to Ocean would have been a harder sell. But having a game that's yeah, out maybe. and released, this is like, we've got a game, we've made it, we've finished it, we've got it published. We are obviously, you know, a, a genuine software house. Genuine software makers, we can do this. So I see this as a step along the way to do that. And going through Firebird's yeah. budget range is, is that. And what they've made is essentially a parody of a stupid shoot 'em up because there's not nothing, to, just wave after wave of crazy birds. I mean, I, was, I didn't get that far, but supposedly like the ball from Bounder appears as one of the ways it's right, it's it's, okay. it's very very tongue-in-cheek and i don't think it's meant to be taken seriously that doesn't forgive its faults which as you said the bullets go too slow but that's galaxians your Gal- galaxian bullet was always too bloody slow i always found mm. you know there's an annoying tune my comment on this was it's too it's it's too chaotic to be dull but it's also too too chaotic to be much good it's just mm. there's not much design here aside from because the, the there's obviously a routine to move the graphics across to the left and then they come back on on the right but they come on with no real sense of anything and it's just repeat repeat shoot repeat die and you'll die a lot and that's it i don't know i can't it feels to me like uh there's some coherency and there's some attempt here but knowing them too and what they go on to do it feels like this is a step along their career path that they need yeah. to get out and so yeah, but i think but so. i don't think it forgives it its faults that, that you listed and i think you are bang on about but i do think this is not meant to be taken seriously it's a stupid game and I think yeah. it is what it is. But it doesn't, you know, a yeah. stupid game doesn't well, no, forgive But at least its it's, it's playable to a point and it's only one ninety nine. And yeah, exactly. so so exactly. it's not asking for ten quid for the same privilege which many of the of its brethren, its crappy brethren have done. So at least it's not that. And like you say, if it's a parody, well, it's a parody, it's what it is. But I think you're right. I suspect this is a how many make how many games you had published? So so they need they needed yeah. an answer to that question from Ocean. So Galaxy Birds is the answer. Yeah, maybe. It'd be interesting. I don't know if you're still in contact with you. Just to, yeah, to absolutely. Just yeah, to te- te- yeah, I will. I'll, te- I'll, te- I'll text him. him. And just say, Galaxy Birds, eh? I'll <laughs> just come across it. And just yeah, to see what, you know, he, it, see what he says. And after his message back, was, who is this? And why are you talking about Galaxy Birds, <laughs> you freak? Absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll say, it's me. <laughs> The birds have been the birds have been sent round to silence you, and, and, <laughs> yeah, and all rec- I get attacked by them. An all record of your podcast will be wiped from <laughs> will be wiped from history. Anybody that's listened to it would be dead. Anybody that's ever heard of it, dead. It could be a, oh. a, a famously unknown 
um, brand tie-in between Galaxy Bars and Bird's <laughs> Custard. Custard, yes. Could be. Yeah, so, I don't, so I don't it think could it be is. Galaxy Bars and Bird's Custard. But, it's, but I think Bird's is spelt wrong for that. And I'm just making it up stuff. You are. Let's move on. That's enough about Galaxy <laughs> Birds. Move on. No one's spoken about Galaxy Birds. And, and I'm glad like we're moving on because um, the next game is something that I'm glad you got. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Jeepers, creepers, where'd you get those eyes? Yeah, so the next game, is this Nightwalker or is it the chess game? You be the uh, judge. I don't know. I it's one of them. mentioned this on gamesthatweren't.com which is a really really great website by the way yeah, which is, I think yeah. you've mentioned many times before I, th- I think there's a book even but it's mentioned there about the fact that this I think it got no either a very small release or no release as Nightwalker so I don't know the lineage I'm sure somebody out there will correct us on exactly how it became the chess game which makes more I'm not sense. even sure it is really well sense. I suppose it makes more sense it's on a chess board isn't it so anyway that's over to you <laughs> Thanks. I have to say that we've looked at some very strange games in the 30-odd episodes we've done now, but this is one of the more bizarre ones that I've played. I remember seeing this in the magazine and wondering about it, but I never saw it anywhere, and I never played it, and I never had it. Uh, not even in the multitude of, you know, otherwise obtained games that we got. I never saw this anywhere. So you play a girl who is having chest dreams or a man who's having chest dreams. So you play someone who's having chest dreams. We've all had lockdown dreams over the past year and a half or whatever, but now we're having chest dreams. So the game is essentially you you see a 3D chessboard at the bottom of the screen and you walk, you come on walking from one end to the other. The sprite is really strange um, and it scales, but mm. it's all it's all over the place with a sort of a high-res overlay that doesn't quite get filled in properly. And it's very odd. So essentially what this game is, in, in the very first level, you have five pawns who have to make it from one end of this board to the back end. So you've got to walk into the screen. You do this five times, essentially. The pawns are nowhere to be seen. They're just on a display at the bottom. You've just got to avoid what there is uh, bouncing around on the board is a knight. So it's a knight that moves around. And when it lands, it for some reason, you colour the board in blue as you walk. I didn't understand why. Yeah, I didn't, uh, I'm sure there's a reason for that. Well, I couldn't see any reason. I thought at first I was supposed to colour the entire board in, but no. you just got to get the, the, the pawns across the other side. So the, the, when the knight lands, it will turn a, it will turn a, the, that square to red. I simply avoid them. Don't move very fast and it's not very hard. You can get enough of them across. Once you've done it five times, and so you have a number of pawns across either one, two, three, four, five, it changes to a bishop who moves around flashing flashing squares in different order so the the black squares will flash from blue to red to green to silver and then black back through don't touch them when they're red simple as that really so stay on the white you get nothing in that game for two in a bed then two in a red two in a red yeah then uh, then there was a rook i think who turned the entire rose colored so stay off the entire road and you're basically just trying to walk back and forward still trying to move these paws i don't know why the why you've got to keep doing this this that's it this that's that's really it there's, there's no mechanics. You don't have anything to do other than walk across a chess, chess board. I went all Sean Connery, didn't I? A chess board. Um, chess board. <laughs> I blame my shells. I do. I, I've got to avoid the red squares. And you wander back and forth, and, and that's it. And it becomes very dull very quickly. The actual visuals are okay. They're quite nice. They, they move nicely, and there's animated for even moving in diagonal ways. But it's a weird sprite that... I, that kind of like hurt my head to look at. It was like I was looking at something that wasn't quite in our dimension that just didn't look quite, I don't know, something wrong. It's just weird. It's just a weird, weird, weird game. It's all, it's dull, it's odd, and, and eventually just really boring. And there's nothing more to say beyond walking back and forth across the chessboard, avoiding coloured red coloured squares if you can. Did I miss anything? No, no, <laughs> it's exactly what it is. 
I just thought it was crap, crappy nonsense. Um, it didn't. It neither played well nor particularly fair. There was no sense of progression, no sense of what the end goal was or what rationale was for doing this thing. Tied into some kind of nightmare thing, I think. And it was a re-release, I think, of a game that was already known to be shit. So just it's just bad form to do that. It's just a re-release of four a game. Four quid as well, wasn't it? Four I don't quid. Think any fixes? Yeah, four quid. Graphics rubbish, like you say, not quite finished properly. Maybe I don't know. So no, it was it was awful. And interestingly, because we got originally the wrong game was in our <laughs> share folder, wasn't it for this? So the night did you actually play the other Nightwalk? It was a game where I ended up dealing heroin <laughs> in that game. That was kind of ha- harrowing. So I was like, God, this is scary. But thankfully, it wasn't that. It was this alternative. Um, just rubbish. Now, just another rubbish quasi-budget fiasco, this time with a really weird sense of, I'm not sure what was released by who and why and how and how this came to be. Nothing to speak of that maybe ever want to return back to it or anything else. Just rubbish. So avoid Nightwalker, a.k.a. the chess game, and you'll live a happy life, I think. Yeah, yeah, you will. Don't have chess dreams. That's my advice. Because, uh, nope. you know, there might be about... Barbara Dickinson and Elaine Page, and no one wants that. <laughs> wasn't it <laughs> no, good? Oh, no, so no, it wasn't good. good. It was awful. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> wasn't it fine? No, no, I no, told it wasn't you. Fine. Isn't no, it magic? It's crap. No, <laughs> but I, I may have got the chess game, but you got the last game of this uh. Uh, of this episode. Jeepers creepers, where'd you get those eyes? We talked about. We did. This, we didn't looked we? at the uh, crap there many, many moons ago because it was coming from the magic of electric, electric dreams. It was coming from the dream factory, <laughs> the chess dream factory. There's a link. Yeah. So uh, over yes. to you here for beer belly Burt's brew biz. Ba 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 ba. Beer belly Burt's. So this is the second massive dump on the chest of the C64 <laughs> in this episode. So to, to explain the game as much as I'm going to, there's a zombie takeover of a beer factory and it's up to Bert to wipe him out. Blah, 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 blah. Shipping control, blah, blah, blah. You have to explore the different departments and zombies attempt to kill you. The long and short of it is it's a crappy flick screen platformer with real naff graphics. Horrible to control, horrible to control and nothing else. It's out of time and place. It feels like a game, probably is a game that was made in 1983-84. was released in 1986 for some reason that is known only to Beer Belly Burt's Brewbiz mm-hmm. and the team behind it and our friends at Electric Nightmares. Graphics are blocky with loads of brown again. What is it with the brown and the brown of the brown? It was just unpleasant and an overall crap experience. And I don't, I don't, and you can tell with a name like Beer Belly Burt's Brewbiz mm-hmm. that somebody was, you know, thinking, wow, this is really such a great name. And, no, and Beer Belly Burt's a great character. None of it works. None of it. It's derivative. I think there's 32 rooms inside this game as well. So it's not like there's loads and loads of room. Or I think in each department there's 32 rooms. So, but it's just a platformer with things bouncing around and Bert bouncing around in there. And some of the... Uh, so did you get play into it where you got the air vents? And if you stand up and then Bert sort of goes flight. Oh, it's just it's blown from one platform to the... It just... No. No, 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 no. Any game where I found myself being... I say this hesit- with hesitancy. Being blown around. Um, and just collecting keys. It had a vibe of booty about it, but not in a good way. Just terrible. Just, you know, forget it. 32% was generous. 2 is a rip-off. Forget it. Go and buy Warhawk if you're going to go budget this time around. Just mm-hmm. get that. And I know I'd speak like it's out now in the next couple of days. <laughs> no, time travel. If you're time traveling, just don't. If I'd have bought this back in 1986, and I wouldn't have because of the name, 
But if I had of, or if this had been bought for me, this is one You're of those games. Down. You know what's going to happen? <laughs> You're bouncing exactly. down the stairs, Granny. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm. I'm just going to show you show you something in the shed, and you're going to be there a while. That's Look at this hammer. Saying. Look at this claw. So, <laughs> yeah. It's like, have you seen that thing at the back of the shed? Oh, it's gone dark. Let me out. No, no, I won't be doing that for a while. No, you no. need to learn your lesson, anyway, Granny. So- <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know where to start with this one. Crap plot. Crap platformer of some description in that horrible American Apple II style. It's a poor man's Ollie's Follies. A poor man's Ollie's Follies, and that's no praise. Awful controls with such slow turning and bullets that you can almost outrun. I says, I'm happy that this brew biz went out of business and Bert was hopefully found dead in a ditch with nothing but a barrel around him. That's what I put. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I believe at this point you, you may have been um, feeling quite frustrated. <laughs> I hated it. I hated every moment of this horrible game. Awful. It's just a horrible game. It just yeah. felt awful in every respect. It has that pseudo 3D look that I yeah. said that Ollie's Follies had. But Ollie's Follies was all right. This was crap. And yes, people made this should feel bad about themselves. I don't say that about many games, but this was a crap idea. Crappily done. Crap. <sighs> That felt, that felt good. Creating games that are blocky and brown is, is no way to go through <laughs> life. It's really so. not. It's really not. <laughs> it was freaking awful. awful. I just hate these. The way it controlled. Like, I know from making simple platformers, and I know I do it in Unity, so it does a lot for you, but there's certain things that you, you just need to do, and I've seen students do the same thing, which is they make bullets at the same speed as them. So when they shoot, when they shoot, yeah. they wonder where the bullets are, and I'm like, well, it's behind you. Because it's just you put you've given the bullet yeah. the same speed as you, you idiot. Stop moving, and then it'll <laughs> yeah. come out. Yeah. Oh right, yeah, I see that. Yeah. So, but this does that. It's like, and well, at some point when you're making this, you go, that bullet speed could do with a uh, maybe a couple of a couple of extra yeah. couple of extra Tweak units. It. Just uh, you know, yeah. Let's add a plus two to that instead of yeah. a plus one. Uh, that's yeah. all you got. Or a plus. <laughs> yeah. It's just garbage. Um, it is. You know, I was thinking. I have had blockier and browner turds <laughs> and I've had more fun and a better experience well, dropping those kids in I've the pool. I've had turds that have come at me faster than those bullets are coming out of him. <laughs> yes. We well, see you've been plus one or two. <laughs> well, they were plus three. They were out. <laughs> someone someone, someone poke, poked your code good and proper. Absolutely. I wasn't a, I wasn't a freshman <laughs> student. There's nothing fresh about that. No. <laughs> your um, your uh, pokes were definitely your five three two eighties were definitely <laughs> comma one or comma two. They certainly two. were. They were they were they were moving at a rapid pace, um, and they would have taken down anything that they hit. <laughs> yes, to be fair, I'll vouch for that because I've had to uh, clean up the mess from many toilets that you've befouled. What can I say? <laughs> It's my calling card. <laughs> and those bog-blocking turds the size of submarines. Uh, unwelcome now, unwelcome <laughs> in the past, and just unwelcome. But, but better, better than, than this, this game. game yeah. I'm, glad he's de- I'm glad he's dead yeah. in the ditch. I would rather strap on some marigolds and punch one of your shits <laughs> down the toilet than play that game. And I've had to do that several times, let me tell you. And sometimes the gloves were never never returned. They just went with, went with the whole situation. I was lucky I kept my hand, in all honesty. <laughs> he's, he's lost nails <laughs> well I've, I've, I've lost I've, I've got hairy hands but one time it just came out bald a bit like in From Beyond just uh, just my hands were just completely sucked of all hair completely pretorious so, <laughs> yes, thankfully I didn't grow hand penises as far as I'm aware well there's always time <laughs> that's the side effect I don't want that side effect oh god let's finish this episode it's been going on for seven years <laughs> <laughs> and we're talking about hand penises we need, we need to quickly, quickly end, end it and end it quick. Right. <laughs> that is the last game, I think, isn't it? 
for this uh, for this one. Jesus it is Christ. for this episode. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a corker. Massive, just like what he had to clear out the toilet. It is. What have we done today? We've <laughs> we've we've looked huge, at Coronation man. Street, Salem's Lot. Uh, <laughs> I'm revisit- we are revisiting that I'm sorry but we are revisiting that at some point that might even be something that ends up in some yeah, extra we'll or, see. I don't know right what games did we look at today we looked at Ghosts and Goblins Mission AD Caverns of Erebon and Night Games I got a feeling that this episode was front loaded <laughs> uh, yes. then we looked at Ninja Master and Jet Strike Mission well, obviously we had all our music stuff we looked at Floyd the Droid Iraq Danger Mouse in Double Trouble, Warhawk, Galaxy Birds, The Chess Game, and finally, Beer Belly Burt's Brewbies. Right, that's that for this episode. Uh, that's the first half of September. There were loads of games in September, so we've got pretty much exactly the same coming next week. What are we, what are we looking at? Ooh. I'm not going to tell you them all, but we are looking at Dragon's Lair. We are looking at Split Personalities. We've obviously got Filver TV. There's loads more Cheapest Creepers. That inexplicably probably might even be worse than this week's. We've got... Way of the Tiger, which we mentioned, uh, another droid game simply called mm. Droids. Uh, we've got the we've got the trap mm. demo, and finally <laughs> with a game attached. Yeah, we've got that. And <laughs> Formula One Simulator. Yeah, that's all coming next week, along with obviously films and TV. Um, so I think that's about it. Yeah, I can't I can't think of anything more. Yes. My brain's going to mush right now. No, um, we've been it really stretched. Has something. So all that's left to say is I have been Adrian Mills. I have been Graham Raddings. And you have been listening to Zapped to the Past. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers and while we indeed love Zap 64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.